Here we go, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Break the Rules stream. I am Lev Polyakov at LevPo on Twitter. It is a great pleasure to be here. And of course, we have the great and powerful, the fire, uh, breath of fire, energy exuding Giovanni Penichetti <laughs> joining us Dude, in the house sweet. today. We got Jonathan Peugeot. We got Uber Boyo. This is it. This is happening right now, and it is a great pleasure to have this conversation about Nietzsche, about Christianity, about life, about death, about suffering, about love, about sex, about passion, about all the things that make <laughs> nice. us who we are. And what makes you who you are is that you tune in, you stick around, and you support us. So be sure to subscribe to this YouTube channel, BreakTheRules.tv. This is where this is playing right now. We are also on Twitch. We are also on DLive. We are also on Odyssey. I'm going to post all the links. Of course, Patreon.com slash BreakTheRules. We can never forget about Patreon. Become a patron today. Help us grow into what we're going to become a year from now, which is going to be like, uh, I don't I don't even know what. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. Thanks for Certainly your better anyway. than a lot of other debate panels, that's for sure. Oh, no, there is no comparison. <laughs> we are on top of the debate panel mountain. Nobody could be compared. With, in terms with of content, at least. But, oh, yeah. no, not just in terms of content. In terms of pure vigor, vril, whatever you want to call it, kundalini <laughs> energy. We have all of that and more in spades uh, because we are able to get the best people together like Jonathan Peugeot, and Uber Boyo. And for those who do not know who these two people are, shame on you. What are you even doing here? Get out. Don't subscribe. But for the, but no, seriously though, uh, Jonathan, could you tell us just a little bit about yourself? You are an amazing icon carver, uh, beautiful spirit. Uh, just uh, tell us whatever you want to tell us. Go for it. Well, I guess I, I started out mostly as, a, as an artist, an icon carver, which means that I make images in the Orthodox tradition for the Orthodox community. And uh, on top of that, I'm very much interested in symbolism, not just symbolism in a, in a basic sense, but the idea of symbolism as a structural frame for our experience of reality. Um, and so that interest and that research has kind of brought me to, to writing and to speaking, public speaking, speaking on YouTube, but also doing uh, you know, speaking tours and stuff in the US. Um, and so that's what I'm mostly interested in is I think that the kind of symbolic pattern that I present, uh, which is really a universal pattern. It's not, it's not like I made it up. It really just comes from studying the traditional text that this pattern offers us a solution in the, the questions of emergence and the question of complexity that we're dealing with uh, right now in all the fields. So that's, that's basically what I'm about. Excellent. And we got Uber Boyo showing off the guns for all the ladies out there. Great to have you here, Uber Boyo. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, I guess the best introduction I could have is to kind of big up John a little bit because I've been following his channel for a while, and um, this might be this is my interpretation of what he does. I've always found it very interesting when he describes symbols and the way that they work, and it reminds me an awful lot of like meme culture because you see among. Uh, like internet culture that memes will just pop out and become dominant and become um, very interesting. There's another channel called Meme Analysis that would then oh, look yeah. at those memes. 
and try to figure out what's going on with them. And I think uh, John is the original, uh, the proto uh, meme analysis. Like I remember- I did the metaphysics of Pepe, so you can't get- Boom. Yeah, Yeah, I remember that. He's the Don, like he's the Don. And I remember getting into his channel precisely for stuff like that. He'd like talk about how um, Pepe has like, there's like an un, there's there's more to it than you think. And then I remember listening to this stuff and I was very much coming from the school of Jung and it would be so close to, it's almost as if the, I guess you could say, not to get too woo-woo, but the collective unconscious was speaking through the memes. And uh, he's brilliant at that. And he, he speaks an awful, an awful lot about the, the wisdom of symbolism and the importance to sort of analyze them like you're analyzing dreams. And um, that is very much the sort of pivot to what I would be talking about. I come in from the Jungian perspective, knowing that stuff uh, related to an awful lot of what John would talk about. And then maybe talk it from more Jung's perspective and a big fan of Nietzsche as well. And um, that's basically what I banter about on my channel, talking about uh, maybe I guess the thing that I would be more centered on is how does one produce that type of art so the 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 memes come pouring out of something and that is the human mind and how does the human um struggle through life in order to achieve that creativity that would produce the 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 documents and the the writings and the colors and all this type of stuff to get your memes because that that itself is a struggle in the real world so i guess that is my little niche if we're to put it that way and also does a person become a meme at a certain point if we're talking about somebody like jordan peterson people know jordan peterson as somebody who's been in various kinds oh of god memes. i thought you were gonna Same say chris thing. chan oh well no we're, we're gonna don't worry we're gonna get to chris chan don't you worry about that but speaking of um jordan peterson though he is someone who is as you know jonathan you've been you've known jordan peterson for a long time he is a person he is a human being he has his own family he has his own life but at the same time there also seems to be this jordan peterson that people are just familiar with thanks to 4chan the internet thanks to all of this culture do you believe that at that point somebody like jordan peterson or any kind of celebrity e-celebrity maybe all of us to a certain extent end up becoming something different something that's not exactly us to the people who are observing us and then let's go to uh niche and all that good stuff yeah I think that's true. I think it's very much possible, you know, because you can embody patterns in the world. Um, and uh, sometimes it's easier to see, like, let's say someone like Madonna, for example, like she just basically became the horror of Babylon, like just <laughs> took on it, took all of it on and just basically, and then people have been competing with her to kind of embody that, that, uh, that meme, you know? And so it is definitely possible to embody patterns, more cosmic patterns, let's say, I think that Jordan has possibly fallen into that. And it's not necessarily, uh, it's not necessarily, I think he, even he understands that it's not necessarily the healthiest thing when that happens, you know, because you can become subject to forces that you're not uh, at all in control of. And, uh, and then you become a, how can I say this? You can just become a vehicle for something bigger than you, but it can also devour you. So it's, it's going to be a dangerous thing. Well, speaking of devouring, I don't know if I mentioned this on the last stream that we had, but there was this uh, sub meme going around the internet of Jordan Peterson Wendigo psychosis. Oh God, I didn't see that. Love, please no. Just before no. Well, it's an info hazard. It's an info hazard. (laughs) Just don't worry about it. (laughs) All right, say say no more. Well, actually, I know Uber Boyo. Do you know what a Wendigo is? I have no idea whatsoever. Yeah, I know what a Wendigo is. A Wendigo is like a Bigfoot, but in the in the cold. It's like a it's like a northern Bigfoot. Yeah. So, Gio, could you explain? And then I promise we're gonna move on. It's like, to... well, it has many different in indigenous mythology. It could also mean like a skinwalker, someone that inhabits the the visage of another person, or someone who is because the Wendigo is also possessed themselves. 
That's the distinction. The Wendigo oh, does not choose to become one. And so it's sort of like that chain reoccurring. But um, <laughs> I wanted to start off this discussion with a quote just to start from Jung's lectures on Zarathustra, if you will, Lev. You, will you? Yeah, I got this version. I wanted to get, I was going to drop almost $200 years ago on the full version, mm-hmm. but some bastard on Amazon just like, he like didn't ship it so they had to refund me terrible um so so as you know this was young's lectures uh extensive lectures on nietzsche specifically in zarathustra and i think it's pertinent to what we were going to talk about so this is on the death of god so this is also the beginning of the gay science and uh zarathustra um so young says of course for you to declare that certain vital processes which you assume belong to a being outside of you are not dead they are either do not exist any longer or they become your own activity so then he's in this passage he's doubting whether nietzsche actually like, believed in his sort of um proto like positive atheism uh he would have gotten into complete hell if it had if he had thought that God was dead, for that his dreams would have been his not his own, and any evil or any good that God had worked into the world, Hithero, would have been his own doing. If a person is conscious of this, his responsibility can heighten to such an extent that he will have a hellish inflation of consciousness. Then in the next passage he says, talking about the tightrope walker, um, you will behave you will behave as if you were, that this is inevitable consequence and that, of course, you become very important, responsible for the whole world. If you were uh, inclined to be a good Christian, naturally you get the savior delusion. You think that you are, in a way, at least a little savior and that you must um, mis- uh, missionize the world and tell people what is good for their good cause, but your cause is exceedingly bad because you only try to get away from your own inflation. So when Nietzsche declares that God is dead, he is confronted with the rope dancer and the rope dancer and what? Well, the rope dancer is the quality of energy, which has been to the God before that is in diminutive form of the God in him. And he is a dancer because God dances into the world that a God should be a dancer is of course a very pagan notion. And that Hindu idea is that he dances the creation of the world and its destruction, but God is creator and the author, the maker of things is a Christian idea as well. So God appears not like the rope dancer who is himself Nietzsche and the rope dancer leads to exceedingly risky existence. So Jung is saying that Nietzsche, in a way, is playing both fields in that he is taking on this heroic dance. Because remember, the rope dancer, he has the bravery, he has the will to self-overcome, but he falls in the end. And so Nietzsche's project, to Jung at least, is sort of a noble failure. But it's not one that's entirely bereft of metaphysics. It's something that is in a way, like, like again, throughout the whole book, it seems that Jung is doubting the sort of uh, dour academic picture of Zarathustra in particular, the academics that do read Zarathustra, very few, uh, <laughs> that, that he's not doing this out of a spirit of iconoclasm, but rather he's doing this as a sort of aporia, not just an aporium, but also like a deep lament of that old Christian tradition. So I think that's like another view of Nietzsche that problematizes our conversation. So whenever you guys want to jump in, so. Well, it reminds me a little bit of uh, of Heidegger's reading of uh, Nietzsche in which Heidegger basically said mm-hmm. something similar, which is that he said, I, I don't, I can't believe that Nietzsche said that there is no highest 
principle, you could say, or that there is nothing which into which the world culminates. Uh, you know, and and of course for for, Heide, for Heidegger that would have been being itself. But mm-hmm. but he, he says his rejection is really a rejection of specifically the Christian God. But as soon as you reject the Christian God, then there's another being or another another state which rises above towards which you aim. Like you just can't you can't uh, seem to to avoid that. And so it kind of reflects what I at least my understanding of what Heidegger says of uh, Nietzsche. Uber Boyo, what do you think? Oh, here we go. Um, so I don't want to come across as like absolute Nietzschean edgelord because he is uh, people who follow him have a very, very <laughs> bad reputation and it precedes um, the conversation. But this is actually something that I would say more than anything, like I struggle with Nietzsche kind of he fucks you up in this way, like to put it simply. Um, I actually want to bring it all the way back to what you're talking about with Jordan Peterson. I want to contextualize the thing that uh, Gio was talking about. So Jordan is quite fascinating in precisely the question of like, is Jordan a real guy or is he a meme? He's most certainly a meme. Um, but behind it, of course, there's a real man and he's a real man with a lot of heart as far as I can see. Um, but he's obviously struggling and he's going up there and he's saying things that are essentially like very, very strong statements for our modern culture. Not really that strong in the context of history. It's very sensible if you want to put it this way. But because they're such strong statements, it's like he's poking on the collective, if you want to use those type of words. And that's quite dangerous because that's like poking on a dragon and then the dragon comes out to play. And so, for example, a lot of people would say stuff like, oh, he's like Internet dad. You can almost see him fitting into an image of that's and, and, and like so we've millions and millions of people who are, you know, single single parent households and stuff like this. And they are looking for a father figure, someone stable to give them guidance, and give them direction. And Jordan comes up and he sort of fits that. I don't know if you want to call it an archetype, that slot, that need, that urge, that meme, whatever. And then. Um, Jordan is partly like that. So he starts to fit into the role. Of course, there's another whole wing of people who hate their fathers and they start to project that onto him as well. And this becomes a very, very difficult problem because Jordan starts to get sort of um, possessed maybe by that role. Like he starts to act more and more in that role. And then of course, um, people signal towards him that you're good at this role and start doing it. I remember in one thing he, he started to talk about, like he was the, he, someone had a dream about him. I don't know if you guys remember this, but he said that one of his, his, um, his patients or, or fans it took DMT, I think. Ayahuasca. Yeah, it wasn't a dream. It was a trip is what it was. Yeah, it was a trip. They took oh, a trip. And I think the forces came and some force came and, and said to him, basically, Jordan Peterson is the masculine vessel for this world. And he's and he's like Socrates or something like that. And then Jordan said that. And you could see that Jordan was sort of like half chuffed, but half a little bit overwhelmed. He was sort of like, oh, I don't know about this at all now. Like, this is definitely dangerous. But what you could see was him, he's, the 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 collective is filling him up, but also putting him in a very dangerous position. And this is hard. Jung would always warn that this is fucking hard shit. Be careful because it can take it away from you at an instant. Napoleon, for example, used to talk like that. He was like, when I was at my peak, I felt like I was driven by a force beyond myself. And when it was finished, I could get blown over like a leaf. Mm. I, and, yeah. and there was almost like he was possessed. And yeah. Alexander said was, that about Alexander was the same. Man. Alexander was like that. Mm. Supposedly, he would just completely vanish in battle yeah. and just become a complete, you know, Yes. Or, uh, or think oh, we're of, not uh, comparing Alexander and yeah. Napoleon to Jordan Peterson. Hey, hey, oh. big fan of Jordan Peterson. But yeah, though, they've got, though, they've got a long, they've got a long way to go until they can match but up it, with Jordan. But Peterson it is funny. How wait, well, Jordan, Jordan Peterson's next iteration. He'll, he'll show up with a yeah. sword to be like, hey, hey, nice. But it is finally. funny, like how Jordan Peterson, how he's almost like, in a way, he's like the the reverse, not the reverse polarity, but. A sort of like weird rearrangement of Young's story himself, which is kind of interesting how Young had a sort of mental break as well. 
and Jung had a sort of darkness that he struggled to realize till the end of his death. And Jordan Peterson had a very public battle with his own demons. But yet, I don't know, because Jung was kind of like a very masculine Chad-like figure. He was like almost seven foot tall. He stone he stone mace in his own house. Uh, like, whereas Peterson, but they both still have that inner resignation about like taking up the mantle of whatever, mm. you know, because right after Jung, when he dies in 62, what happens? The New Age movement and this massive social change. And so it's like, whether they're on the precipice of something, who knows, right? Yeah. Well, but I think Jordan, I think you 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 all have to also understand that Jordan is very much Nietzschean. He's very much a Nietzschean. He's a he's a Nietzschean who comes to the end of Nietzsche and realizes that he would rather formulate he coming to the end of Nietzsche and realizing that just because of the human makeup, the idea of will to power as an individual act is impossible because of because of the 95% of processes which are basically behind your consciousness and, and, and basically the givenness of the world. The world is so given and it's so already hierarchical in its presentation to us that it's, that it's nearly impossible. And so what he ends up formulating is something like Jacob wrestling with God rather than Jacob saying God doesn't exist. It's like, I'm not, I'm not going to say God exists, but I'm going to fight. I'm just going to keep fighting. I'm just going to keep fighting and fighting and fighting. And I'm not neither going to give in to God and neither am I going to give in to the nihilism, but I'm going to try to, to hold that in between space, you know, and that's a crazy space to stand in. How would you define giving in to God? I mean, the understanding that things are beyond you, like just really understanding that, that, mm. that being, being is given completely and that you you there is there is an every aspect of reality is pointing beyond itself and pointing towards the good and then giving yourself to that like just it's really about it's also about attention it's about it's, it's about attending to something higher than you in communion with others too it's not just it's not just a solitary act uh it, it's about it, it is about the communion of love which by which I think the world holds together and you, but you had, that has to happen with you focusing above, you know, focusing Mm. towards something which is beyond you. Well, this is an interesting question. I mean, I would love to get Uber Boyo's take on this as well. When you have somebody who just works on the farm, you know, tends to the farm, tends to the household, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And they have a faith in God and all that. But let's say they could have spent more time researching on how to, I don't know, figure out a better way to farm, figure out a way to farm that uh, there's going to be less pests that are going to eat the vegetables or do something that's going to take whatever they're doing to a uh, higher level. That requires a certain amount of struggle to overcome certain things and to figure out certain mysteries. And it's something I'm very curious about when it comes to Christianity or uh, organized religion in general, whether there is, and I'm not sure if this is a criticism that Nietzsche leveled at it, whether there is a certain kind of limitation that people may perceive from just being accustomed to the way things are and not really trying to go beyond that. I'm not saying, Jonathan, that that's uh, what you're saying, but I'm curious if that is an often cited uh, criticism. So let's start with uh, Uber Boyo. What do you think? Do you think that this uh, relates to uh, Nietzsche's criticism as well? 
Well, I, I actually don't want to go into that yet because we don't want to jump the gun a little bit. I do want to bring it all the way back to what I was saying about Jordan because it leads up to that. Um, exactly as, as John was saying, like Jordan's dealing with the Nietzschean problem. So he's up there on stage. He's forming that sort of masculine principle, the, the vision of the, the, the guiding male energy in the world. And people, gra- like people drive to that. Everybody just goes... <sighs> And they all grab onto it. And they're like, yes, finally, someone's just they're telling us to clean our rooms. Like, you know what I mean? There's just so much power. And um, you have to ask yourself, why? Like, why, first of all, did he get into that? And what was the sort of central struggle for him? And you, you listen to a lot of what he says. And he keeps on coming back to this phrase, the death of God. He says, this is the big thing that's like the, the, the knife in his soul, the struggle in his soul. He's like, what's going on? He's always talking that we're in this crazy crisis where you've got this death of God. I think Vervaki calls it the meaning crisis or something like that. Yeah. And there, there's this set of problems. So- that are, collapse, yeah. There's this set of problems that are premised on something after going wrong about around about Nietzsche's time. And um, Jordan's way of stepping up to that is precisely as, as you're describing, you know, like the, the victory can be achieved when you um, start to order the world around you and hope that it's going to take you in the right direction. I think he often uses the metaphor of the Sermon on the Mount, not the metaphor, but the, the um, amalgamate, the going with the Sermon on the Mount, where he's basically like, aim for the highest good, do it every single day, don't think about the future, and well, don't obsess about the future and just try to like order the steps in front of you. Clean your room, clean your house, clean your country, whatever way you want to look at it. And, uh, and this becomes his sort of shtick if you will and he goes and he presents this to the world as like a, a shareable shtick like we can all do this and it's probably it's, it's probably not going to turn out bad if we at least do this like you know maybe it won't be the most romantic crazy thing like Nietzsche's proposition of making the ubermensch but my god like it'll probably do something it'll probably make things a little bit better and um I think that's actually quite interesting to look at that as the foundational problem, because what you see then is him getting caught up with that and having to live up to the idea of being the perfect father, the perfect man. And then, of course, like the tragedy of human existence, um, just giving him a hard fucking do. And then everybody's suddenly like laughing at him and making a making a, a show of him, even though he was, well, you know, it's just it's the way the way things work. And Nietzsche is actually so similar. Like Nietzsche was so similar in that he's talking about yeah. being the will to power Ubermensch and he ends up hugging a horse, screaming butt naked while his sister takes care of him. Like it's 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 a sort of a, a ironic collapse that's going on there as well and what Jung was saying in that Zarathustra passage is precisely precisely this like what happened is Nietzsche was probably he was like the first guy to discover Bitcoin you know he's the first person to really hit on the death of God problem and be like whoa dudes bro like this is bad this is bad what do we do hit the panic button we got to figure something out like this and it like kind of knocks him throws him for a fix and he spirals pretty pretty hardcore and maybe you could psychoanalyze him and saying his own dad dying definitely didn't help with uh, stabilizing his mind and all this type of stuff and what Jung said is that when you get hit with that amount of emotional stress and it's really weird for us we struggle to understand especially as moderns how emotionally stressful it would have been for people in the past to deal with this and as Jordan Peterson said before Tolstoy thought about hanging himself when he really thought about the dying the death of Christian belief if you will and um, the response to this when you're in a position of crisis and um, you you have to dig did you ever hear that when you're like a boxer and a boxer has to dig deep and it's like, what, what do you do there? You're digging deep. You're trying to find something that's lower inside of you, more ancient, more deeper, more pa- primal, more powerful. That extra bit of animalistic power that can push you through the last four rounds or something like this. And this is what begins to happen with Nietzsche and Zarathustra and possibly even Jordan and whatever he, his project was all about. He um, gives birth to Zarathustra. Zarathustra is an answer. Zarathustra is like a, an eruption of, he dug deep and he found Zarathustra and Zarathustra popped out of him and started to speak to him in some sense and say to him it's almost like a dream or a symbol or a meme that showed up with Nietzsche and it, it, like sort of possessed him and gave him a possible 
path, a way forward. So he energized them with something and said, you know, here's a, a solution to the death of God. It's an absolutely crazy thing when you really think about it that way. And um, this is really what Jung was warning is that Nietzsche might have like been possessed, if you want to talk about it in classic terms. And his possession was a cause of reacting to or trying to solve this very, very intense problem. I believe that like all of us are still kind of clashing with it as well. But why is it a frail person? Like, why isn't it? Like to say that Jordan Peterson's the harbinger of like modern masculinity, I mean, you'd figure it would be someone like, I don't know, Bronze Age pervert or whoever, right? Like someone like rippling glorious physique and, uh, but I don't know, I guess maybe someone has like someone well, I, I that think there's more to, I think there's to more to more being adult, a man adulthood. than, yeah. Mm. More adulthood. Like Jordan was like, do your job, be responsible, get get a, get a job, wear a suit, like clean your house, like these type of things. Like it's maturity, adulthood, responsibility. Like that was really his big shtick. And that is ultimately um, not about necessarily showing up and looking like Arnold Schwarzenegger, but it's about a bigger question, like Solzhenitsyn and standing there in the gulags and saying, I'm going to take responsibility for this. And that's not about him being ripped. He's actually the opposite. He's ripped in the worst way possible, where he's starved ripped, you know, but he's, mm. he's still being a fucking man about it. He's being like, all right, like this is what it is. And I think that he was sort of representing that. And and it's it is like reaction to the death of God. Suddenly, as Nietzsche said, we are the, now the, the 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 children of we are now the children by ourselves on the island, and we have to stand up and take responsibility. And if we don't, we could be in an awful lot of trouble. And there's a lot of huge connotations that come from this. Like, do we choose childish ways of going forward in the world? Maybe Marxism is a childish way. Maybe whatever we're talking is a childish solution. And we really got to stand up and assert responsibility and assert a, a, a new vision of morality, either to redeem morality in its old way or actually find a whole new way that we look at it going forward or something like this. Well, but let, I've let spoken ask, loads. Yeah, that, that's great. Let, well, let me ask this to Jonathan, because um, in the one book by... Um, in the second volume on Heidegger's commentary on Nietzsche, he talks about how revelation and nihilism, they're uniquely intertwined and how the eternal recurrence is like this clearing of being. But, but that point about a new morality, it seems like just to like get into the more controversial part, that is like very antithetical to at least the Christian tradition in the West. I'll, you know, Nietzsche, he conflates it with Platonism, obviously. But where do you think, like, do you think that there will be time periods where there will be a great nihilism that will lead to a revelation? Now, to Nietzsche, of course, it's this giving oneself over to your own new self-created values, which only the few can do. And to answer Godward's podcast question about whether he was a romantic, Nietzsche was very anti-romanticist. He thought that the romantics uh, of the Enlightenment were um, infatuated with this sort of weird socialistic humanism that he was totally against but but anyway so jonathan please go on and also what to comment on what uber boyle was saying um okay i think that like i said i think that this idea like the, this idea of progress or like this idea that you can clear away being and, and come with a completely new being i think I, I don't see how anybody can think that anymore like I, it just seems like mm even I'm not even a scientific type person, but like with the advances in cognitive science, you realize, you just realize just to what extent human nature is a, is a, is a real thing. Like it's a, it's a given. And if you look at the manner in which Christianity manifests itself, it doesn't manifest itself as a jump thing that jumps out of the blue and just kind of replaces what was there before. That's absolutely not true. It, it, it ends up being a culmination of something like Neoplatonic uh, thought, 
with a more embodied religion, you know, coming from the Semitic world. So it ends up being something like an embodied Neoplatonism because Neoplatonism didn't offer practice, right? It didn't offer ritual. It didn't offer story. It didn't offer anything that human actually can live in. And so this is how this is, these, these is, this is how it works. Like stories play themselves out and then they, they lead to other things. Now, I do believe that Christianity was going to lead to nihilism. That seems to be something that Christ himself spoke about. It seems to be something that was predicted, you know, right away in the early centuries of Christianity, that, that Christianity would lead to antichrist, that Christianity would lead to the diminishing of faith, would lead to scandal, would lead to all of this kind of breakdown. I always say that atheism couldn't come out of anything except for Christianity. Christianity led to atheism. Um, but I do think that in the end, what's going to be revealed is going to be a higher or a more complete vision of the divine rather than rather than the idea that human beings are going to pull themselves by their bootstraps. I don't even totally understand what that even like I, I, I know I know the, the the idea, but I don't see how that is neither possible nor uh, desirable, you know, also because to come back to what Lev said, this idea of, of this idea of constant improvement, I know that it's a, it's a mantra for the for the world. Uh, but one of the things that people don't realize is that constant improvement also means uh, side effects that we don't plan on. And so the idea of making agriculture better will definitely make agriculture better, but it also creates certain side effects that that are there. And so I think that traditional societies are neither obsessed with progress nor against progress, right? They just have problems and they deal with them. And if if there's a, if things are going well, then you just you just do it. And if things are not going well, then you make it better, you know. And it and I think that that's a, a more embodied way of living, anyways. And this idea of like this constant improvement until we end up as cyborgs you know living on mars like i'm not well, sure Nick that's that, that's the big uh, that's the big difference right there where i understand that the example that i brought up had to do with improving what's outside of you but i would uh, change that up into focusing on improving what's inside of you and the question is what exactly is that thing that improves you because you could say well it's communication with uh, christ with god it's uh getting to a higher level through that but at the same time if you have somebody i don't know who would communicate a similar way but saying the name of krishna or saying the name of some other deity with similar results happening we could call it being pulled up by your own bootstraps if that means that you have your own way of uh you know you, you you're on your own path and you're achieving things that way versus the view that from what i understand christians hold which is that there is going to be you can never say exactly when but there is going to be an end times where jesus would come to earth and there would be a certain portion of people that would live in the new jerusalem for uh, i think like thousand years i'm not sure exactly the length yeah let's be that, careful with those images there like first of yeah. all uh, I think I think that there's Christianity is eschatological. Let's let's play it that way, which means that Christianity has an image of totality toward which it's moving, and that image of totality is the idea of the divine logos judging reality because he's the source of reality, and therefore 
The divine logos is the source and the judge of all reality. And there's an image of all human activity being transformed into its highest state. That's what the new Jerusalem is. It's a glorious city. So it's all human activity and all the glories of all the nations are gathered into the new Jerusalem. And the new Jerusalem becomes an image of totality of like the, 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 the total good out, uh, out of which, you know, towards which we are culminating. Now, we need to be careful when we, when we use these images to not talk about them, you know, in the way that I shift my car or that, you know, I put my socks on. These, these are, you're talking about realities which are, which are real, which are true, but are not, are not uh, mundane. They're not just like, you know, Jesus is going to come back like, you know, one day we'll be walking down the street and there he's going to be. Yeah. With his, and there's going to be a giant the American Protestant. Yeah, this is not. Yeah. This is not. And there's going to be like a giant. There's going to be a giant golden cube. There's going to yeah. be a giant golden yeah. cube that comes down, which is like a quarter of the size of the planet Earth and, and a giant spaceship. And according to the neocons, all the Muslims will be gone. Yeah. And uh, that's no, but they <laughs> but from what I understand in the New Testament, they do describe uh, the cubit. Uh, length of this golden cube. So is that an allegory? Why describe? Uh, why describe it like it is a spaceship? That's what I don't understand. It's not a spaceship, you guys. You guys are off. Your what rocker. is the Seven's Gate? It is a cube. In fact, indeed, it is a cube because a cube is the full realization of stasis, right? Yeah. It's the full realization of, of, of a static property. So you could understand a cube would be the ultimate representation of all human activity would be a cube, right? And so a dome would be the image of the spiritual principalities and a cube is the, the manifestation of those principalities. That's why the Ark of the Covenant is a box. That's why, you know, a church is made as a, for, as a dome on a square. That's why a mosque is made as a dome on a square, right? So yeah. these, these are just universal patterns of, of reality. And so the idea of this, this final state of all things, which comes down from heaven, and comes down on earth and then gathers all the good of the world into it. Uh, you know, you, you definitely, it is, it would be very silly to understand that in a mundane way or in, in a, uh, in a kind of uh, science fiction yeah. way, let's say. Yeah, Marvel comics destroyed religion. I, I get it, but you don't necessarily <laughs> have to adopt their tropes. <laughs> but I guess that's the question for a lot of people who are skeptical of the Bible which things in the Bible should be taken literally versus which should be taken as an allegory. And I understand you're not saying that it's a fully an allegory, but I'm trying to find out what is the right balance here of uh, the uh, talking about the end times, where it isn't just an allegory, it's something more, but it's okay. not mundane, like you said. So let's say like the book of Revelation, in which it describes altars floating in the air with lambs on them and, 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 and creatures with thousands of eyes floating around them, and it's describing uh, horsemen, which come and pour down, you know, uh, things on the world and angels would break sensors and send plagues on the world. Now, now, if any book is not to be taken at the most immediate level, I think that that's probably the one, especially because it's also a culmination of the entire prophetic tradition from the yeah. Old Testament in which Prophets were constantly seeing these kinds of creatures, these kinds of beasts, these kinds of, of, of images, and they all culminate into the book of Revelation, where, where these images are now, let's say, the, you could say the final image of this prophetic tradition comes down into the book of Revelation. But, but, but I, so I think that the idea of having a kind of materialist version of that is, 
is completely insane. It doesn't mean it, it doesn't mean it's hogwash. It doesn't mean it's just a bunch of, 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 of dreams. It's an, it's a language. It's a, it's a proper symbolic language and it has its, and it has its reality at the level at which, in which it's real. And I think that the things that are described in that book will happen, uh, but they won't, that doesn't mean, doesn't mean that a golden cube is going to come down from the sky in the way that a plane Let's, lands on the ground. It's funny because I'm actually doing a series on my YouTube channel, uh, Janitor Productions at YouTube.com, uh, where I'm commentating on uh, the book of Revelations, doing a reading and a commentary. And I think I'm going to release the next episode, maybe Saturday or Sunday. But uh, Uber Boyo, um, to go back on topic, um, it's funny because Nietzsche in Zarathustra actually does a lot of similar imagery like for example from ezekiel then it culminates in revelation and so forth the lion the the chimeras he has a lot of that sort of uh animus sort of sentiment to him but of course it's it's inverted now it's like the um animist imagery from the bible and, and from the apocryphals now that's in service of the earth that's in service of the spirit of man that's in the dancing star that's not um a sort of like metaphysics of transcendence anymore so i don't know like what do you think of that uber bar what, what jonathan is saying but also from a more nietzschean perspective on yes. this connection of revelation and apocalypse and nihilism well i'm gonna i'm gonna do a heresy and bring Jung into this as well so um mm. this is this is always this is what i i learned so much of john was the idea of like um properly uh, uh coming approaching symbols is probably the way i'd say it um, it's something that Jung, I believe, does quite well as well. And uh, he, you, you would like the, the default thing is to look and be like, all right, so Jesus is going to come down out of the sky. You're reading about revelations and you're thinking that. And of course, as, as we're saying, like, that's not correct at all. And so um, what I got out of Jung was his discussion from the book Ion, where he actually looks at this exact phenomenon and he looks over the course of history and he sort of looks at all the stories that are pouring up out of it. And uh, he comes up with a very interesting model. Is it true? I'm not too sure, but he comes up with a very interesting model where he's essentially saying that the memes are doing a sort of work together working together and the whole idea is that you know christ is born and christ is um even you something that i i learned of john was the idea of uh you have a coherent worldview like the romans would have had with their their hellenic paganism and jesus is like the the most ironic hilariously funny joke also same time the most heavy gravity and uh tragedy of all where the the symbol of ultimate roman power which is that if you fuck with rome we will stick you on a cross and you will fucking die you do not screw with rome martian energy whoa, whatever it is hail mars or something like this and they take that symbol christ on that symbol conquers rome it's just it's so blisteringly ironic it's nearly a joke it's so funny like when you think about it and this this violates all of rome's entire it's almost like this one flick and the whole vision of roman paganism just, it's gone it's done it's like mimetic warfare but like you can hardly even say it was intentional it's just so brilliant the way it works and that's very very fascinating it's like the irony that destroys the past and opens up to a new future and that's christianity now young would propose that what happens then at the beginning of the Christian era is the creation of a new story, which, which is very, very obvious. You have Christ, who's literally the beginning of time for us. Like you have year zero with Jesus. And Christ is symbolic of like literally so perfect that you can't even die. So moral that you can't even die. You're literally like pure spirit in many ways. And he's representative of the highest possible nature in man. Someone who's so good and so noable that even if you kill them, they, they won't even die. They'll beat death. They're literally God. And you're so disgusting and the world is so disgusting 
thing, the world that we're in, that you, the God would come down, be really nice to you, and you'd fucking kill him anyway. It's like, it's unbelievable. And so this sets up a sort of narrative. It sets up a story, the Christ story. And of course, what is um, implicitly, ironically, uh, uh, like humor, opposite or unanticipatedly um, presupposed is the opposite to this, which is, of course, the Antichrist, which is the earthly energy and this other thing. And Jung would suggest then that over the course of the, the centuries, these two would sort of go against each other and actually start to form a sort of conversation, if you will. And then by the time we get to the late, the last 500 years, the people have gotten so sort of bored with Christ, if you want to put it this way. And I know that's crude, but this is sort of what you start to notice, that people start to get fascinated with the opposite. Uh, and it, it starts to look almost like exactly what New Jerusalem was talking about, where what they talk about revelations where the antichrist the obsession with science the obsession with the material and even someone like nietzsche was almost like the 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 high note of that whole movement where it becomes obsessive about the fallen world the redemption of the fallen world redemption through sin the the uh, the like even think about this young points this out and he didn't actually point this out in the way that you can put together now but he points out how the alchemists were studying fucking stones and they're studying stones to try to find if they could get blood out of the stones they could find eternal life in the stones so the material world, the rock, would become the vessel for eternal life. Not Christ, but the rock. And even Christ himself died on the rock. Like, it's so ironic. And then Wait, what does, happens, doesn't Christ call himself the rock as well? He says that a lot. And what, what you see now, like, listen to the guys like Kurtzwell now, where they're literally saying, we're going to take <laughs> rocks, chew them up into minerals, and we're going to make these minerals into metals and computers and silicon chips, and then make the rock alive. And this rock is going to be God. This is going to be the AI God. It's absolutely blisteringly ironic that you're seeing this stuff show up. And it's it sets up this interesting question, which is um, is is Christian eschatology or Jesus? Not us. Definitely not the right way to say that. It's fine. Um, we understand. <laughs> <laughs> the end. The end of the world is is that suggesting? And this is what Jung's proposition was that that's an ion, that's an era, as opposed to the end of the world. This is something that I struggle with a lot because are we coming to the point now where the Antichrist is coming back and he's going to go running and dancing and stick us all in an AI machine and then it's going to be like I'll, I'll be there being a nice Nietzschean and I'll get plugged into the Antichrist eternal matrix hell and be like oh damn i shouldn't have read that german incel are you serious <laughs> or is it a situation where uh where actually it's the end of times and, and this is this is a very serious suggestion that um what what who nietzsche is is actually someone saying he's he's like he's like the first christian it's it's ironic i know but he's like the first christian saying the roman hellenism is over christ is here and is is nietzsche possibly it could be either i don't really know is is nietzsche coming at the end of our ion and saying christianity is done We've got a new vision that we have to go forward. And that's a challenge that I'm often the struggling The first with. modern, the first true modern. The first, the first true. And I'll talk even more about that from the idea of progress in a moment. But uh, I just thought I'll leave it there. Yeah. Right. Um, maybe I can address some of the things you, you talked about, at least Jung's understanding of Christ as well. Uh, Which was right, very the, problematic, by the way. <laughs> yeah, it is very problematic. The, 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 the image, like the, the classical image of Christ, which sadly really uh, kind of vanished in the... In the in the West, uh, you know, in, in Athanasius in, on the incarnation, which is really the basis of Christology, you know, because it's the, the basis of the, the Nicene Creed, it's Athanasius, you know, uh, you know, his notion was more something like the assuming of the world, right? The idea is that the divine logos descends into, into the world and then assumes every aspect of reality. And so it was, that's why Christ looks the way he does is because he has to assume everything. He has to go all the way down to the bottom and assume even the lowest aspects of reality within him. And he has to 
join the extremes together. So that's why the image of Christ on the cross that you have to you have to see, and you're right about the irony. There's a, there's a there's a there's a lot of irony happening in the story of Christ, but it's like a double irony, which is that, for example, as Christ is beaten and 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 uh, and tortured, they put on him the purple robe, and they put on him a crown of thorns, and they say, you know, hail hail to the king. So yeah. that's the, the that's yeah. one of the ironies. The irony is that what they're doing is actually they're doing it in irony, but they're actually secretly doing it for real, right? And the same happens when he gets put on the cross, which is that at the top of his, over his head, it says, King of the Jews, you know, Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the King of the Jews. It's, a, it's again, the same gesture where they're doing it to mock him, but it ends up turning back. So, and so the, the cross does become the ultimate image of humiliation. And at the same time, becoming the 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 raising up right it's like mm. uh, it is like a roman it's like the roman labori uh what it, the the roman standard which is raised up yeah it's and so they don't true. even realize what they're doing well, even revelation so standard. true and even revelation so the true. lamb of god right, right? And, and then they yeah. and they have this 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 dying uh, man on the on the that, that they've declared them him to be the king and so the the aporia the aporia serves the function of assuming everything like I always kind of tell people that Christianity is, is actually very much a non-dual proposition. And usually people can't see it because they always want to see one side, right? They always want to see Christ as the victim that is sacrificed, that is, you know, that is destroyed. But you have to remember that just a few days before he was hailed as the Messiah entering into Jerusalem and everybody were putting their vestments below his feet and he went into the temple and he kicked ass and he and, and he cleared out all the money changers then he was crucified and then treated like the worst scum in the world and so you always have to understand Christ's story as the joining of opposites and that's why it looks the way that it does I, I feel like what happened let's say in the west uh, is that the tendency to emphasize, for example, the pietistic part of it, where it's like, you know, Christ came, he became a victim, God killed him, you know, to satisfy his anger. And, uh, and it's like that whole kind of weird justification uh, theology is, is, is something which I can totally understand someone like Nietzsche saying, I don't want anything to do with this. Like, I don't want anything to do with this. But I think that, you know, a lot of people... A lot of people have said that that the everything you can get out of Nietzsche you can get from Dostoevsky. But Dostoevsky had in him this rather fuller understanding of the story of Christ, which is, you know, it's it's for example, like when people a good example is like people say, oh, it, it's just a takeover of a Semitic God, right, over the Romans. Like here's the Semitic God that takes over the Romans. But that's bullshit because th there's people standing in the next corridor in the same institution saying. Christianity is just Neoplatonism. And so, yeah. so how can you have those two? So you've got one saying, oh, it's just the coming up of this Semitic God and the slave culture and everything. And then on the other hand, they're saying Christianity is just an excuse for empire. Christianity is just an excuse for Constantine. Christianity is just Neoplatonism dressed up. And the hmm. reality uh, is that it's both at the same time. You need yeah, both or else you is. don't understand the Christian vision. There is an interesting uh, thing that I want to quickly uh, point to here when you're talking about Christianity being uh, partly uh, Neoplatonism. 
when I look at a cross, for example, what else is it? It's also the crosshairs. It's also the point at which all of reality ends up meeting at and coming from. I mean, again, I know this is a broken horse record for all the people who have heard this already, but this is an actual thing that you see during meditation, at least from my perspective. You do see an actual white cross in the center, but it's also a black hole. It's also a point at which, like, energy that's being generated, like, lights being generated, they end up being sucked into it, as well as emanating out of it in various shapes. And we're always kind of seeing it, because we always see things in perspective. Everything is coming to this. So I find that that I think Deleuze had a similar point, Lev, actually, that it was a black hole. <laughs> Believe it or not, yeah. But it's, but, like, it's like the Omega point, the idea uh, of everything yeah, yeah. coming from one point and then going to that point. Brahma breathing out the universe and breathing in the universe. But the thing that's always uh, struck me as, uh, you know, something that led me to being more skeptical of whatever's going on here with Christianity on the planet Earth being the end of time is, again, just looking out into the galaxy, galaxies, clusters of galaxies, seeing all these planets, all these different places where unless all of this stuff around us is just for decorative purposes, like I told Geo before, then I'm not sure if this is necessarily where things ultimately end right here on this planet at this particular time. Yeah, space is fake, my opinion. <laughs> it's fun, but it's... <laughs> no, you're not. Oh, no, no, I'm not. Um, no, but it's funny about the irony, Jonathan, because, um, oh, God, um, like that one point in Revelation where the Lamb of God becomes the leader, the king of all the kingdoms of the world. But previously, the Lamb is always the sacrifice, is always the weakest, something that is the sort of slaughter of the flock. But now the Lamb of God becomes the king. I really can't. Maybe Uber Boyle, maybe you can talk about this because I really can't find, not in Hindu, not in Vedanta, not even in the Vedas, not anywhere, not even in pagan mythology, where like there's that level of like irony and sort of like, what do they call it? Transversal symbols, right? Or polyva polyvariant symbolism. Like it's, I mean, maybe Zeus comes a bit close, but that's, I don't know. It's not. It's like, that's the unique, that's what I don't get about. Like the whole like Zekai's yeah. thing about. But you always have to remember that Christ yeah. is also the Lamb of Judah. He's also the Lion of Judah. He's the Lion yeah. of Judah, yeah. and he's a sacrificed Lamb. So that's the thing. Of that's the thing is that every time someone brings up an image of Christ, there's always another one, which is it's 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 opposite. But in terms of the cross, the idea is that what one of the things that Christ re reveals is the notion that that the core of reality is sacrifice. The sacrifice mm. is is the origin, is how reality manifests itself, right? And that's this, like, in terms of cognitive science, everybody kind of understands that. In order for anything to exist, it has to exist through sacrifice. It All objects that you perceive have indefinite idiosyncrasy. And those idiosyncrasies have to be sacrificed in order for you to be able to perceive unity in anything. And, and if for you to exist as any type of unity, you have to sacrifice or else you won't be able to work together towards whatever it is that you're doing. And so the, one of the things that Christ reveals is that this is actually the key. Like the sacrifice is the manner by which reality exists. And, and it's like, and, and there's something, and there's something about it 
which is that, you know, in terms of, let's say, in terms of the scapegoat sacrifice, for example, that we had this idea that if we get rid of the scapegoat and then we can, we can exist as a coherent whole, but there's that secret, which is that by getting rid of the scapegoat, you do exist as a whole. So the scapegoat rises up, you could say, and becomes the, the reason why you exist, which is why scapegoats were often deified even in, in ancient, ancient cultures. And so it's like that type of, that type of contradiction about, about the reality of sacrifice at the core of reality, I think is what's being revealed in the image of the, in the image of, in the image of the lamb uh, as being, you know, as being on, let's say, as being at the center, the lamb at the center. There's also um, the, the Aries, like uh, if you want to go with the young stuff, I actually am quite weak on this stuff, so I won't have like the best takes, but the Ram um, and Mars was Aries, the Ram. And what's the opposite? What's a baby ram, a lamb? Like it's it's that type of energy there as well. Mm. And uh, also, it reminds me a bit of uh, you remember that movie directed by Henry Bean, the uh, Believer. Uh, who's oh, that God. with? You know the fame. Uh, Ryan actor. Gosling. Ryan Gosling. Yeah. Yes, when he was making his speech about a uh, persecution, about how. And I'm paraphrasing. I didn't here. see this, so I don't. I'm not going to be helpful. No, here. it's it's, it's very one of the most. It's like it's like a four chan directed. It's like a four chan Paul directed like a movie. Yeah. It's like no, that. but the yeah. point. But the point that I'm getting to though is that at least there, the idea that he was getting to again, I don't want to delve. You know, Hotep Jesus was enough. Okay, I'm not going to get into that. But by uh, the way, anyway. Hotep Jesus, the last stream just absolutely lev just ah uh, just made you into a prison prag and turned you out just. Oh man, that was Jesus beautiful. Christ. Sorry, G sorry. Gio, you were you are absolutely wrong. It was he actually goofed the other... you out hardcore. It was, it was he sold you to all the brothers. Uh, no, never mind. Geo, it was completely the other way around. Where for the very first time, I was actually able to coherently make the point that I was making, and he did not have any comeback for the most important point, which I'm not going to get into right now. But again, the point is, oh. is that he was a great guy. It was wonderful talking to him. I think that was a wonderful conversation. But the idea that somehow he goofed me, this was perfect. It was the opportunity for me to be able to expand exactly on the things that people kept bringing up and trying to say, okay, so if you assume so-and-so, what then? What do you want to do after that? And assuming that this perfect thing would happen that uh, a lot of 4chan wants to happen, you think all of a sudden you're going to be rid of these problems that... Uh, you've had for this entire time that's the point that i was driving at so geo i love you but i think you're completely mistaken and you are just uh, fooling yourself the stream <laughs> that ended up happening i, I, I like to get time. back to the subject guys yes i, I have a question for uber boy because you guys are always standing in between us so i think we should have direct conversation yeah, a do, little bit. Go yes go go so, for it so I, I think my biggest question like because one of the things that i've been thinking about a lot today is the notion that the patterns in which we engage they have to scale, right? That's something that I, that I talked about quite a bit, which is that, that the patterns in which we, we engage, they have to scale from the person into the communal, let's say. And so one of the problems that I see both in Jung and in Nietzsche is that they seem to be very much focused on the individual's psyche, even though he does have this idea of the, of the uh, you know, this idea of the, the unconscious or the, you know, the collective unconscious. My question is how using those systems do we create societies? Like really, like how do we cohere into, into, uh, into anything but, but either 
either tribal groups that are that are attached to a, a, a uh, you know, a kind of powerful leader that will get killed by the next guy coming or whatever, you know, or we just become become a bunch of individualists trying to do their own thing. It's a great, absolutely great question. Um, I'm, I'm going to start by talking about something that you were um, suggesting because uh, you seem like a legit Christian, let's put it this way. And uh, that even alone is a bit, uh, a bit crude, but you're suggesting that uh, it's totalistic. So for example, it's such an interesting thing to think about him getting crowned as King and him also ironically getting killed for like being the scum of the earth, this type of thing. It's the unification of the two of them. You're suggesting that the, it's like holistic, like it's everything. Like he was the event. The history ended with Christ. It's done. It's over. There's nothing more that sort of needs to happen in some sense. Now, I might be jumping to a conclusion there. Uh, you can, by all means, Yeah, well, me, for but... sure, that, that's, that's not really the case, which is why Christianity is eschatological. Like Christianity is also moving towards a final vision. So it's not... So yes, we could, you know, people would say something like all was accomplished on the cross, but there nonetheless is this eschatological vision of, of, uh, of moving towards totality, let's say. So it's okay. not, so it doesn't totally end with the cross. You know. Okay. But yeah, the, go ahead. Is the movement towards totality, totality for earth right now, or is it for everything in existence? That, that th those questions are irrelevant, dude. I'm sorry to tell you, like everything <laughs> in existence. I, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, existence as experienced through human consciousness how about that so let me let me keep let me keep on going because i have loads of stuff mm -hmm. i want to ask here so um something else that you were suggesting which is related to what you're talking about the patterns of that scale is um a lot of people i hear this from they say like christianity it's framed sometimes as christianity one like christianity grabbed the souls of people and became, it came out redemptive. And that's a great, great argument for it. Like human nature was at this certain point and Christianity comes along and just everything clicks and everybody just rips into Christianity. Christianity is like a, a fire to a, a parchment, that type of thing. It just all goes, completely takes over the West and flies through it because it's the right place at the right time. And people needed it at that point. You could even put a sort of evolutionary spin in it and say, um, we were scaling to a certain point where we were, um, you know, in like, pagans beforehand jungle in the jungle beforehand in the forests and then we get primitive societies and the sort of paganism that rome had and then christianity was that like sort of next step where we're civilized and large enough and even like rome the, one of the the massive um, urban center of its day with a lot of people who don't really have an identity all sloshed in together they grab onto christianity and christianity speaks to them and calls out to them and boom it all slips in together and then of course the goths and the germans running into rome pick up on it as well this type of thing and so human nature was in some sense chose christianity christianity's adapted to it and it's got 2000 fucking years of proof that it's extremely fertile and correct and can definitely lead to healthy collective societies and it's very very to, hard to argue that it's like not it's not it's not health providing it's not it's not good it can't do justifying things which is i think a really strong argument and then you have someone like young and nietzsche come along i absolutely get this like nietzsche it's like all right what we're all going to do is turn into edgy nietzscheans and go like run on mountains and write poetry and all this it's like i don't think that's going to work young like i don't know if you meet the youngians you're kind of be like this is not it lads i don't know what this is but this is not it it's just it's just not in the right place this is i'm not going to be drawing pictures of circles on the wall all day or something like this is maybe good for a few niche people but i'm not sure if it's holistic now um the problem i constantly have with this and it's not even again i'm more exploring this than anything is that um the question about human nature and christianity being chosen by it and the idea that we evolved into christianity is and then we can't evolve out of it 
and we can't like human nature back in pagan times was adapted to paganism you could say it it rose rome like rome was created outside the context of christianity on martian principles which is essentially like I, for all intents and purposes that is the will to power and rome was very successfully constructed to the point where we still go to it today and look at its awe and look at all the old architecture we still use the language the church used the language you know and yeah. we evolved into christianity absolutely absolutely we did but there's like i, I think it's very clear to me that we, there was stuff before there was higher organizations before and many of the the concepts and the words i see and for i study roman paganism if you will and uh it alone has so many sophisticated um, social structures and, and like the word morality comes from Morris Morum or whatever it is, which is the way of the ancestors. Like they had social organization based on an instinctive life religion. If you want to put it this way, this is precisely like I'm starting to tilt in the Nietzschean direction. And I, in some sense, I'm not saying Nietzsche figured it out. Definitely not. Like he was, he was a wild man, but, um, but you could, you could see being born out of him, uh, I don't know, but a possibility of something like that reconstructing. Like you could say we evolved back into something like that. Christianity was a uh, maybe a necessary, inevitable, whatever it was, it happened. And as Nietzsche would say, affirm it, accept it without resentment. Don't hate it. Don't turn into Richard fucking Dawkins and like run around being a neo-Christian without God. But do look that it's human nature is, is not exclusive to that. And you could definitely see human nature expressing itself in something new. And that's often the thing that's kind of um, irking with me, but I'm afraid I won't be able to give you a solid plan yeah. at all. And I, but I, I, I think I understand. And I think that that's also, to me, that is also part of the eschatological vision of Christianity, which is the idea that, that there, is, there is an idea that Christ will return. There is an idea that when, when we say Christ will return, it also means that there will be a new heaven and a new earth, right? That there, will, that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. There will be a new reality which will manifest itself. Now, the way that I like to try to help people understand that is that that has to happen. We can't make it happen. There's something... There's something about the way that we, that history lays itself out, that reality lays itself out, that is like a that is kairos, that is like, like you said, it's the right moment, the right time, the right things coming together, and that usually actually manifests itself through people, like actual individual people that appear as as transformative figures, you know, that that are able that do embody certain principalities and then change. The direction of of uh, of the world, prophets like you know different prophets, different saints, different different embodiments of of these changes, um, and so I do think that that's what we're moving towards. We're actually moving towards a new heaven and a new earth. But but we can't until that happens. We're in the Christian story, and you can just you can what you can do is you can decide what part you're going to play in that in that story. And, and you can play a part of a part which is preparing the ark, you could say, to preparing the ark for a new, a new seed, preparing the world for a new seed, or preparing the, the, the world for the return of Christ is the best way to understand it from a Christian perspective. Or you can participate in its dissolution. And so, so um, for example, Christ is, I always quote this and people who watch me will be tired of me he hearing me say it, but Christ says, you know, scandal must happen, but woe to those by whom it happens. That is, Christ prophesied the end of Christianity. Christ said that he was going to bring about the end of the world. 
uh, and he did to, and to a certain extent with the destruction of Jerusalem. But like even in a bit on a bigger scale, you could say that this was going to lead to the end of a, of a world. Um, and so to me, that's the that's the thing. That's the problem is like what mm-hmm. what what part are you playing? And to me, the only part you're going to. So you can play an antichrist part. Right. You really can. And a lot of people are. I would say I would say that, like you said, in a certain manner, the Antichrist is, has been let loose on the world. And we can see the advent of AI, the way you talk about it. We can see this weird new religion, which is kind of coming uh, towards us. Uh, but it's going to be it's going to be an Antichrist religion. And like, for example, you could be woke, which is also of a kind of antichrist manifestation because mm-hmm. it looks so much like Christianity. So to me, that's kind of a really, it, you know what woke looks like? Woke looks like what Nietzsche said Christianity is. <laughs> it looks What's like the resentful, really? like resentful, like resentful, demanding uh, kind of uh, mentality of the lower aspects of reality, which are trying to kind of rise up and, and take over. Like the revolutionary mind is, is definitely... Uh, but I don't think that's what Christianity is. But I understand that that could that could be seen as a, a spirit of antichrist, let's say, because it is antichrist. Like it, it yeah. looks like it comes out of Christ to oppose it. You could say say it that way. Well, Uber Boyo, last time you were on, I think you were talking about how Nietzsche showed respect to the OG Jews originally in what they were doing, not so much for Christianity. And I was wondering if you could expand on that. Like, what were was uh, Jonathan correct right now in that being the aspect that Nietzsche was against when it came to Christianity, or no? Uh, so let me actually um, cover a point that John was just bringing up that I, I want to kind of frame because we can get we can talk about the Jews and and the Semitic takeover and all that type of stuff and the way that he liked the old ones and then I don't know whatever that that stuff means. We can definitely get into that because it's really interesting um, if we talk about it well. Um, but this is, I find this so fascinating because this is more like a question what John's talking about is, is we're in some sense, I think we all feel it. Like we're, we're in a pretty crazy time. Like, let's put it, mm-hmm. let's put it straight up. Like there's something going on. Don't know what it is. Maybe it's just my little hiccup. Hopefully it's like, you know, maybe just a, a little version of the Protestant revolution. Nothing too serious is going to come for it. Let's hope it's not the end. But you're ultimately in a position of crisis making bets. You're sort of saying to yourself, all right, where am I going to stand? Like even when Protestantism came up in, in, the, in the West, it's like, it's actually a bit, pretty big question. Like which side are you going to stand on? If you stand, stand on the wrong side, maybe you'll get killed in the 300 years war or the 30 years war or something like that. You don't really know. It's, it's a big deal to make those type of bets. And it, it would sever your family from other people for centuries and all this type of stuff. And we're sort of in something similar. And <clears throat> I look at all the options available to me. You have, um, and this is going to be a little bit reductionist, but you'll kind of get the broad point I'm trying to make. You have something quite interesting, which is um, over the last 2000 years, the West consolidated an ego or a self or persona. I know I'm using Jungian terms, but um, try to follow where I'm going with this. And it, it understood itself as Christianity. Christianity is so fascinating in the way that it, it appeared because it appeared as exactly what um, John pointed out in a brilliant way. It was a Dionysian Platonism. It was like emotional in some sense in the body. It's fascinating the way it showed up like this. But as it entered into the West, it in some ways actually became, as Nietzsche would say, Apollonian. It started to become quite quite idealized, even abstracted. And 
that might have even been a force of sterilization. And he um, would talk about how that turned into this very, very noggin-ist, jargon-heavy, um, left-brain perspective. Yeah, he, and, he blames Paul for that, yeah. And, and it dominates the West. And then the West turns into like a load of monasteries <laughs> that are singular. And, and he, cons he considers this like, you know, all right, there's some things about this that are bad, but this is also really good because all of these disparate tribes unified together and focused on one perspective. They created a elite of educated gentlemen who would show up and speak Latin together and trade information from all over Europe. And then this eventually evolves into the foundations for science, which is what you get out of that, which is an incredible asset as well in, in many ways that people would, would discuss, you know, it's, it's a very, very powerful thing that happened, but ultimately it's, um, it becomes very Apollonium. It becomes very, all of the, the, the ideas get digested. People embody Christianity almost fully and not, don't even understand how much of a difference it is. And then what happens is we come into the modern times where in some sense, it's fully Apollonian, it's fully egotistical, it's fully um, conscious, if you will, it's fully realized. And the problem then becomes about the next, the dying of the ego and the next iteration, the next sort of step forward. And that sort of feels like what we're living through. This is Nietzsche's proposition of the death of God is what I'm sort of talking about. And so the, the crisis that is born around about his era that he identifies is that, is that the old Apollonian frame falls apart, crumbles apart, and then we walk forward into a new chaos, a new way it's almost like we took a massive hit of dmt at the end of the 19th century all of us and the whole god question just like blew open and we were like who the fuck are we and what's going on this is all all the whole world is different this whole science thing has told us that there is no god and all these type of things and this becomes very very difficult and so we're now thrust into a chaos and we have options and some people would suggest that all right this looks like the end times and maybe we need to revert back to christianity which is like you know this is it's old you got to be you got to go back to this thing and put your bets there and if you don't um and I, again a bit of a straw man so like i hope like john will clear it up an awful lot more but in some sense you're sort of saying all right this is the the, the bet you place here is you say stick with what works go with the past understand what it is all of this stuff is going to fall apart the entire religion will fall apart that will happen but if you don't bet here on Christianity when it falls apart and the revolution comes or the redemption comes, we'll say, and, and, and you lose, the Antichrist loses, the fingers will be pointed. You'll go to the lake of fire, you fucking idiot. So make your bets correctly now. And that's a fair, that's, oh, that's a, that's a fair, that's a fair accusation. Like I'm thinking about that and I'm like, ah, oh, damn. Bro, what that, we're that seeing is... now, it's almost. Let, let me, let me just grab oh, the last sorry, two. Let me bro, just, like, grab the last two. So I'm, I'm a little bit worried about that. I'm like, oh, bollocks lads. Like do I, do, where, where do I put, where do I put my stack? And then of course, what comes up is a sort of in the frame of that question, the conservative question in some sense is wrapped up in there, but also the religious Christian question is also um, the, the shadow, the opposite. This is the progressive um, parody of progressivism, the woke movement, if you want to talk about it this way. And they're like, you know, they're literally the spirit of Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris personified as a religion. And, and this is Nietzsche pointed this out so well. They are essentially Christians without God. It's so clear. When yeah. You see that stuff. Yeah. Now. What I find fascinating about that is that they're like reactionary babies, like reacting to big daddy Christianity, which is like absolutely uh, to be expected, but it's not interesting. It's not new. It's also, it is very powerful though. And that's the scary thing about it, but it's not sophisticated. Now, what I, I saw Nietzsche is doing, and it, it's a very interesting idea, is he was saying that we need to go back to what Christianity was at the start or not, no, the process that happened. And we need to embrace the destruction, the crumbling of morality, because the, the progressives don't let morality die. They, they hold Christian morality without the actually nuance of it and make it kind of sterile. Um, but we, we let it all die and enter into a new Dionysian state. He actually literally would use the word Dionysus quite consistently, which is so interesting that Christ was like Dionysus back in the day. 
And, and the point of this is that when this breaks down, what will come up, like I was saying about the boxer thing, what would show up? It, was, it would be the return of the animating instincts, the forces inside of us, the deeper forces, which he claims that we've lost. Mm-hmm. And he claims that it's, it's going to kill us if we don't find them again. And he says, if we connect with this, we will become something so fascinating. Most people, the last men of this world, will get lost in that debate, stuck in the old worldview and get frozen and consumed. And they will turn into the last men, which is the overeating... Uh, the, the, the most terrible the most terrible description <laughs> of all like it equally yeah. as bad as the lake of fire the lake of mcdonald's you know it would be that type of thing <laughs> and then what happens is nietzsche saying you need to find that energy inside yourself and what you will be if you grab onto that you won't be them you won't be the romans you'll be the goths you'll be the people rushing in taking over establishing a new era you might be sort of artistic tyrants but you'll be the creative ones who sets up the new paradigm you'll be the next step forward and he says that like this is a sort of open vi- vacuum like it's a power vacuum anybody can step into this this is something that you can go for it's crazy it's chaos and you need to stand up on yourself and find in yourself those forces so that you can release yourself release your creative energy and do this and he ultimately says the people who do this will be the victors and if you get on board with this and do it correctly and find it in yourself to do it properly you'll be the ordering principle the, the you could say the aristocrats that established themselves over Europe for 2000 years. Yeah. And of course I listen to that and I'm like, man, I don't want to be a feudal pleb for 2000 years. That sucks. I don't want to be a last man. <laughs> and, and you're kind yeah, of but stuck. The claim, you're but you're then stuck the- with, uh, sorry. Well, basically just to end it, you're stuck with those two sort of options and hmm. they're pretty hard options. I don't know what to do with, yeah. with them. Like they're, they're kind of looking well, at me. Let me maybe give you what I think is a third option. Uh, I think that I agree with the idea of going back to, what Christianity was. And let's say if you if you kind of understand my my project, let's say, or not just my project, but like my brother's project and my project, and now a bunch of other people's project. It's most, it's, it's, it actually is about that. It's about trying to replace the Christian story as your actual frame of perception. And so it's actually going down into the story and bringing it back up in a way in which it actually becomes the way by which you you encounter reality. Um, And what that means is that it has very little to do with morality. If you've ever heard me talk about morality on my channel, like I never talk about morality. I'm not interested in morality. According to one YouTuber, you talk about morality quite a bit, but that's not going to oh, oh is this the the slime guy whatever yeah, that guy yeah, yeah whatever uh, uh slime ball yeah the slime ball guy that thought slime yeah that's his name um no i i talk i i talk about structures right and i talk about beings and i talk about em, embodied practices let's say and what they mean and so it's like i'm not interested in the morality of it i'm interested in what it means ontologically to inhabit certain patterns um, and what it what it does to the world, like what it actually what, what it actually does to the world. And so to me, that is and and what that means, like in terms of um, so there's that aspect, which is maybe a little more heady, but there's an also an aspect which is an embodied one, which is it's like go to go to church, right? Sing songs, uh, you know, process, you smell the incense, bow down on your face. And then, and then in my case, it's like make art that is participating in the community and is also, while I'm making it, I'm also trying to help people make, trying to help people see the icons as frames for their experience again. 
It's like not just things to interpret, but actual frames out of which you then experience the world. And so to me, that like seems, seems, so it's like, it's not like I'm trying to, to create anything new at all. I'm not trying to create anything which doesn't exist, but it's more like trying to reinvigorate something which is there, which has kind of lost its way and has lost its, lost its, uh, its, its spark and trying to kind of find that spark and to help people experience it again, you know? But, but what about the Nietzschean criticism of Christianity being this sort of slave morality, life-denying force, using the power of reason and rhetoric to like get one up on the blonde beast, the overman. And according to our great friend, uh, Logo Dallas on Twitter, apparently um, Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates and uh, who's the guy that owns, who's some other evil corporate overlord, Lev? What was the, yeah, Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates, they're the real Nietzscheans because they possess the will to power in the modern world. What would you say to that, Jonathan? That Christianity failed in its mission, and in fact, Christianity horribly suppressed those innate, the spirit and drive towards a greater will to power and an honoring of the earth. I mean, I don't, I don't know. It's like, I really struggle to see where people get that. I mean, I get it in like 19th century Protestantism. But it's like, go to the 12th century France and tell me if you see any of that there. It's like, where go to the Byzantine Empire and, and go hang out with the Varangian Guard and tell me if you see any of that in that world. It's like, so I, I, I get it. I, I, think that, I think that that type of uh, revolutionary mentality is actually comes out, of, comes out of the breakdown of Christianity. Right. And I'm not saying it wasn't going to happen. I think it had to happen. I think it's part of the story, like I said. Uh, but I think that it does come about with the breakdown, with the breakdown of Christianity as Christianity moves into the Enlightenment and as the Enlightenment moves towards revolutionary thinking. That's when you see this kind of this kind of resentful, uh, resentful type thinking taking over. It's always been there. I mean, obviously, it's an aspect of humanity to, 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 to think that way. But I always try to help. I was trying to express it the way that St. Paul expresses the, the hierarchy, which is that what Christianity exposes is the manner in which those that have a kind of vitality and a kind of, of, a, of power that they realize that they actually have to put that in service of the weak because that's how society is actually going to function. Because without, because you realize that you actually need the workers, you need the, the, the commoners, you need all these people in order for your society to function. And so then what, what happens is that the knight that rises up in power then gives himself to, to, his, to his serfs. Doesn't mean that he's going to submit to his serfs. Doesn't mean that he's going to bow down mm -hmm. to them and he's going to do what they want. But it means that, that his direction, his directed energy is towards giving that back down to those that are that are below him. And that ends up being the Christian hierarchy, right? The father sacrifices himself for his children and his wife, but it doesn't mean that his children don't submit to him and that his wife doesn't submit to him, right? It, so so maybe corporate the corporate overlords, they kind of are the Nietzscheans, unironically, because they're eating their children. They're not getting, children. they're not giving anything back. And yeah, they're exactly. worse than the Romans. My goodness, like a Roman <laughs> noble, yeah. like a Roman noble had to give back to at least the citizens. Because if he didn't, like they would stab him in the back. Like they would just, they would just kill him. Like it, not only he wouldn't even think not to do that because his glory, like the glory of the Roman, of the Roman aristocrat was to serve his city, was to like have a big building with his name on it that would, 
that everybody would go into and would recognize his glory. But would uh, but, it be similar to how uh, Maduro uh, gave a lot of the goods away from certain corporations to the people so that they temporarily got this moment of uh, feeling good about all these goodies that they got? Meanwhile, a lot of other bad things go on behind the scenes. I mean, that's uh, another thing that I'm curious about here. Would you say that the Christian project uh, from um, you know the time of St. Paul onwards did turn people into the kind of mode where they did start thinking about all the little people around them? Or would you say for even the people who were living during the Byzantine Empire, it was more of just something they put on, just a mass that they put on, pretended to be holy, meanwhile they were doing things very similar to what Bezos and other, uh, you know, much more tyrannical people in the world have done. But how does that hold? Like, who's holding it up? Who's holding it against them? Like, who's holding them to their standard? It's like when people say things like that, it's as if it's as if they imagine that there's this Im invisible standard that's there and that people are pretending to follow it, but in reality, they aren't. But then why are they pretending to follow it for, for the sake of who? For the sake of the they just, they just like do creating... like the Romans and impose yeah, their yeah. power over their slaves and work them to death and you know, send them to the mines until they're dead and then rape their slaves. And like, why? Because they, they worked for a long cliffs, time. Yeah. They worked for thousands of years. Why would, why would now they not do that? If I think they really did believe this, I really think they did believe it and they didn't embody it perfectly, obviously not, but you can see at least a tendency mm. towards, towards that. Although wouldn't you say that that would give the uh, slaves and the people below them a little bit of hope to keep going, to keep being part of a particular kingdom, to keep being part of a particular feudal system, uh, if there is a hope that there's going to be glory in the afterlife, so I am going to put up with whatever horrible machinations uh, my lord happens to uh, throw at me. Yeah, that stuff doesn't that that stuff doesn't last long. It's not like there weren't peasant revolts in the Middle Ages either, and it's not, like, there are always peasant revolts if. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, uh, how can I say this? I don't uh, justify them, but I understand them. Like if a noble doesn't care for his people, the people are going to kill him. It's just going to happen. That's what happened. I mean, the French revolution, even though I, I, I despise the French revolution, it's like the nobles were all in Paris that didn't care for their, their serfs. And so no, no one, they didn't need them anymore. Hmm. Right. They, they, they didn't need each other anymore. It was, well, gonna, it was bound to happen. I'm a Uber boy. I'm curious what you think on this, as far as there being, uh, let's say, a duplicitous nature to people who claim to be holy or claim to be, uh, you know, uh, very Christian. Meanwhile, it all becomes just a, j just a farce, just a mask that they put on to keep control over people below them. Um, this is a very complicated and good question. Uh, how's my audio, by the way? Is it good? It's good. Yes, yeah. it's good. sounds good. Um, just to refer to something John brought up a while ago, that's uh, like a really important point. I guess I'd almost like to say this to anybody who likes Nietzsche. Um, there's this, it's such a funny thing to like, you know, you'd accuse Christianity of, I don't know, sterilizing things. You need to get back into your nature and all this stuff. But actually what John's talking about is a really, really good thing to shove in the face of anybody who's coming from younger Nietzsche and, and an intellectual is that what's your methods? Nietzsche himself would say this, like, what's your processes, your rituals? Like Jung himself would even say, don't become a Jungian. He recommends most people become Catholics. That was his thing. He was saying, you know, go and do the rituals. Don't overthink it, bro. Like just kind of get into the flow and live your fucking life man get out of the books like please lads come on you there's only so far you can go into this and um it's precisely that thing where you're like stuck in the head 
intellectually rationalizing an image of yourself as an Ubermensch when you're really some boob while Jeff Bezos is like out there absolutely crushing it. Like you're not really in that position where you should be doing that. And you need processes. You need to think in terms of like, like what is actualized success? What is, what is going on there? And that's actually very interesting. It even adds to the Nietzschean phenomenon of that. Like uh, the, the danger for us is that we, we're so absent. We're so sterilized. We have so little processes, so little rituals, so little instincts and behaviors that our chances of success are kind of scary because we need to actually put those in place first before we even th start thinking about the idea of how it's going to look. We need to start creating the momentum and energy for it to work. And the Christians at least are keeping that up, but then most of them anyway, um, and keeping themselves coherent, keeping themselves moralized, keeping the, all those things together. And it's really, really important. It's a really, really big deal. Um, often overlooked. It's, you know, the Dionysian side of things that people overlook. Now, then kind of translating into the question of uh, slave morality and and that is a very complicated question. I don't mind if we actually slow down and talk about this for a while because it's a really interesting one. Um, mm. some, some people will often say that, that Nietzsche is saying, oh, Christianity is uh, full of resentful slave morality people. And I, I think obviously like it's, it's more about the idea of nuance. Like there's a lot of things going on throughout the entire history of Christianity. But he points out something that, that is fascinating. I don't think there's any way around looking at this, that um, when it came into Rome, first of all, it had many of the archetypal traits of something like communists or the French Revolution. It looked very, very similar to that in many different ways. And what I mean by this is the Romans were certainly greedy. Like, I don't want to, like, you know, oh, the Romans, man. Like, they were certainly uh, greedy, aristocratic, snobbish. The Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates, you know, Jeffus Bezos, Billus Gatus, like, they were there. And they, <laughs> they went around and they conquered all of the Middle East. And then they suck in a load of people. They just kind of hodgepodge the people into their cities. Don't really give them a strong identity. Think that res publica is going to work. And then basically have a large groups, like, huge cities of people who are mainly coming from the Middle East and bring along with them their religions. And it, this causes a, a very, very difficult issue where these people are going to be sort of salty. They're going to be uh, like, you know, they don't like being ruled. They've essentially, essentially got uh, stories of conquest. In fact, the original idea of the slave revolt came from um, Spartacus. That was where Nietzsche saw it first. And that was the exact story of like Roman slaves who rebelled against their masters and almost like conquered half of Rome at some point. And um, the, the idea there is quite straightforward in that you have a religion that appeals to I would say a set of instincts inside of people. And again, this is a, like a strong Nietzschean accusation. We can talk about this. I don't mean to be like super offensive or something like this, but he would he would look at it as like speaking to the effeminate side of man. And um, in fact, women were like would tend to be and um, like I think they were most of the original Christians were either the immigrants and the women and the women would often like convert their men aristocratic women would convert the men and whatnot and they would come in and it was spread in these type of ways it would go around the sort of I think there was a somewhere where they were doing the demographics of it first of all and it showed up almost like the modern left where it was very much urban it was very much a sort of elite circles of people who were sort of snobby and um, people who were like knew that they had you know the woke religion like Christianity kind of looked like that on some level it might be a bit of a straw man, but I'm putting out the case. And everybody kind of buys into it this way. The institutions of power have bureaucrats who buy into this new religion of um, niceness and, and equality and, and gentleness and all these type of things. And they use it like these, you could say, lower status bureaucrats. And as some people would even argue, like they would say some of them would have been, for example, Jew Jews coming in and trying to take over Rome and stuff like this. And they would 
take the, the, the whole story that sounds nice to the public. They're basically understanding, psychologically sophisticated enough to understand that the mob resent the top and the mob need a coherent identity, which is not there. And if you give them Christianity, their identity consolidates. And then you create out of that mob a force which you can use to levy against the aristocrats. Now, think about what happened in Russia in 1917. You had a mob of people who were highly resentful we had people come in from all sorts of bureaucrats, like people who, you know, like lots of people from different different places coming in, speaking to these people about equality and Marxism and the beautiful ideas, and then weaponizing these people in order to take out the aristocrats. And Nietzsche would look at this stuff not as some type of like, oh, this is bad, we should hate this. It's just a, a sort of natural process that tends to happen. And people, like, you know, resentment boils up in, in populations, and people yeah. will weaponize it. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. The, and by that time, by the way, they were and they also came from very, upper bourgeois as well. They were also very resentful of the uh, Orthodox priests that were uh, in Russia mm -hmm. at the time. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of corruption going on. Now, I don't know if they would have had the same results if not for the intelligentsia people that ended up going over there and stirring things up. But, you know, do, do yeah. with that what you will. I think I think that the, the, the story you're telling runs into a snag, which is the snag is that the Christians were good citizens and they remain good citizens except for their worship of the emperor, which was the thing which would get him killed. But besides that, if you read the little the little testimonies you have of how the Christians were, they were all model citizens. I mean, even St. Paul said to follow your authorities, to obey, to obey the, the people in power and to pray for your authorities and to pray for your for, for the emperor, even though the emperor persecutes you. Um, and so then what, what actually happens in the story is that you're right. It starts at the bottom with 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 slaves and women and kind of disaffected people. And then it, it starts to spread, but Christianity takes on, becomes, Christianity re reaches its fullness when Constantine converts. So it's not, just the, it's not just the aristocrats, it's the emperor who converts. And so why does the emperor think, why would the emperor do that? Like, it's not, it, why would, if Christianity is just a religion of resentment, like why would the emperor convert? The emperor converts, and not only does he convert, but he he refounds Rome in a different place, you know. And that Rome in, lasts a thousand years, you know, lasts another thousand years. The the second Rome lasted a thousand years, which is not bad, you know. Um, <laughs> and so and so, I think that I think that to me, the story runs into that snag. Like when you talk about the revolution in terms of the French Revolution and the Russian Revolution, I completely agree that that's what happened. But the Christians didn't rebel. That's the thing, they just didn't. They, 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 they prayed and they fasted and they, they, they obeyed. And then- Got fed to lions. That led, God died and were martyrs and accepted to be martyrs. And that led to the conversion of the very top of the hierarchy. So there's something else going on. Like there's another process, uh, which I think is, is different. Um, also, like you could say that Christianity was infused again with that more masculine warrior spirit up from Constantine all the way up until um, the Crusades with, you know, so that's like. But also the hermits, like the, yeah, the, hermits, the hermits were yeah. extremely masculine, like that the monasticism was a very masculine practice. We, we tend to think it's not because of because they were because they they were uh, ascetics. But, yeah. but the way that they present themselves is as warriors, as inner warriors, as people who fight demons, as people who fight, you know, against the principalities. 
and the monks and the saints and the hermit became extremely powerful, like super powerful. Saint Simeon the Stylite, who was the saint who stood on a 60 foot pole for like 40 years or whatever, 60 years, I don't know how long, you know, when they, when they wrote the canon for the Council of Nicaea, they brought the canons to Saint Simeon who was standing alone on his pole and they asked him if he could, he, if he could accept the canons. Almost suggesting that if St. Simeon didn't accept those canons, maybe the council wouldn't be, uh, wouldn't be valid. <laughs> well, it's but Nietzsche thought point. the opposite. He thought they were like using well, their feats of cruelty, like self-cruelty to like scare the, the warriors. It's kind of like, mm. you know, like in wrestling where you, uh, you hit yourself with a chair, you fish hook, and it's like, you're crazy. You're out of it. It's like, that's <laughs> what, you know, <laughs> But there was an interesting, uh, there's an interesting thing that I just thought of here. Of course, you're absolutely right, uh, Jonathan, when you're talking about these uh, warrior monks, you know, individuals who are able to work on themselves. But then you have the other polarity of uh, the aforementioned hypocritical leaders. And then if you're talking about the flock, you could say, sure, the flock, they would be obedient uh, Christians. But you also mentioned that there was this infusion of masculinity of this warriorness into the culture as well post-Constantine. My problem there is that you also have it recorded of uh, very evil things being done by the flock for the sake of Christianity. And that's another thing that I have a hard time uh, squaring here. Because if you're an obedient person, if you think that what you're doing is supposed to be the right thing, uh, you know, regardless of whether you're a Christian, if you're supposed to defeat your enemy and you do that and you're a Christian, are you really a Christian at that point? Shouldn't you talking about the, the Crusades? Which, what are you talking about? Like, I'm talking about the Crusades. I'm talking about uh, the um, po pogroms. I'm talking about all the various things that really, if you're a Christian, you would have to turn your cheek and let your enemy slap you around as opposed to doing things that are pretty, uh, you know, are pretty evil. Yeah. Well, for sure. Like, it, it's not, a, it's not, doesn't, can I say this? It's not as if Christianity made the world into a perfect place. Like, that's, that, that's not what happened. Uh, that's definitely that definitely wasn't going to happen. Uh, I think that it's all about direction and about kind of a, a process of transformation of, of, of culture. Now, you know, we could argue about the Crusades, like whether or not they were justified, like at least at the outset. I think a lot of bad things happened during the Crusades, but the idea that the Crusades were completely unjustified, I think is just bullshit. Like, the, the, I mean, the Turks were surrounded Constantinople. They had taken all the all the the hinterland of Constantinople. Basically, they couldn't get they could, they could barely even get their food, and so they called up on the western the western uh, principalities to come and help them get rid of these Turks that were on the were at the door of Constantinople. Like the idea that that's not justified, I don't mm. see. If anything's yeah. justified, yeah. it's like the Crusades were all justified. Right, yeah, fine. We could, the you could you can have the Crusades. That's fine. I'm not I'd saying look, all the crusades were justified, I'd but at look least more, at the outset. Okay, I'd look yeah, more the peasant crusades like, were kind of sus, but right. you know. What about the children's <laughs> crusade? What about the children's oh, crusade? That, Obviously, yeah, all this well, stuff is completely right. insane. Let me jump yes, in. Go on. Yeah, go for it. Let me jump in. And again, like, you know, edgy Nietzschean here. So like, you know, take it with a grain of salt. But so another thing that I look at with Rome, and again, I'm looking at these patterns and I'm comparing them to modern revolutions and like, it's not so straightforward, but there are things that genuinely sit with me. And I'm like, I, I, I can't square this. Like this is, there's something up here. So for example, um, take for example, BLM. Should we call this the woke movement? 
and what happens with BLM. We could even like let's even talk about that in its most comprehensive way possible. Look at what's happened to happening to America right now. You have essentially a movement based on the emotion I, I could only say of tolerance, openness, and love, and the simplicity of all these ideals. And they're beautiful. They're beautiful ideas. Everybody wants beautiful ideas. And what, what you notice is going on in the corporate world is that everybody finds it's better to bullshit people and say, yeah, beautiful ideas. They're perfectly we're perfectly able to make them all happen. Here you go. We'll just turn everything to suit your emotions. And this is how the world is going to get reformed. And what comes along with beautiful ideas is deep, heavy resentment, huge, heavy resentment, and even justified resentment. You know, it's not like the people who are in the Roman cities weren't enslaved. They were. But even, like, for example, the black people in America, they were enslaved and they're resentful about that. And the beautiful ideas come along and it gives them a coherency to justify how they feel. And then you get movements like Black Lives Matter and you have, for example, people like George Soros, who are weaponizing that in order to create the vision that he has for the world, which is the open society and whatnot. And what you see happen in America last year was this explosion of all this energy. And um, once they sort of achieve a cultural, uh, they, like in the middle, it's so, even this is so ironic. In the middle of a worldwide death, um, death cult pandemic, where everybody's going to die if we even if we don't wear like masks on our face, and we all have to we all have to sit in our houses, and then all of a sudden everybody is out on the streets marching for human rights and and whatever that means and all this type of stuff, and it's it's just blazingly hilarious when you think about that. So that's the cultural domination of America, like that's like that's that's it. It's that's a huge emotional victory, and it's a religious level victory because yeah. this set of values are it's in class warfare as well. It's, well, yeah, and, and and this is kind of the point is that like that's class warfare. I'm I'm sure it was there in Rome. And look at what happens. Like really look at what happens. First of all, you have the pulling down of the the conservatives. Um, and who are the conservatives? They're rednecks. They're like bumpkins from from the middle of America. They're not Jeff Bezos. Jeff Bezos is on their side. The conservatives aren't the people who are oppressing. They aren't the people in power. They're the people who use scapegoat. Now yeah. think about, for example, a pagan. What does the word pagani mean in French? That means country rustic bumpkin. That's what it is. Pagans are rednecks. Pagans in Rome, the, the scapegoats for the Christians were, the, like there was no Roman paganism. It was Hellenism. Uh, even when Julian yeah. tried to redeem it, this type of thing. And, and so first of all, you're seeing all these patterns show up. And then once they achieve cultural ascendancy, what do they start running around doing? They start destroying the, the statues. And this is exactly what happened with BLM. You know, they pulled down all the conservative statues who were symbols of oppression. Um, and then what you see in Rome is, do you ever see the pictures of the scratched noses, the destroyed statues, the pulling down of all this type of stuff? Like this is what needs, the burning of the books, as people would say. And I don't want to be sort of like, oh, they burnt the books, they burnt knowledge. Like, you know, maybe we should burn books, uh, fuck books. But but there is, um, but there is there's an interesting pattern to see there. I'm, I'm merely even psychoanalyzing the movement i'm not saying it, it it happened in some sense we have to accept that it happened it might have even been this thing where god was using it as a vessel to create a new world i don't deny that at all it's a very interesting take but there's like you know if you're looking at that and you're just kind of being honest with it the women and the immigrants they all like f f grab onto these beautiful ideas yeah. and once they yeah. achieve ascendancy it's all beautiful till they achieve ascendancy and then all of a sudden all the monsters come out. The statues are pulled down, scratches are gone done, and the whole the whole society needs to be reorganized to suit them. And in the shadows above them, there's always very smart people making very care careful kind of nudges towards getting the thing, the place they they wanted to go. And it sounds like it's all, know, the, it's I, all money yeah. in the ethnic vote, right, Jonathan? Uh, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you remember that quote, mm. Perizzo? <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think I think I think it's I think it's an interesting. I think it's an interesting narrative uh, to think about it that way. I think that for sure, part of 
the narrative misses the misses again uh, Constantinople, which was actually the center of the world. Rome ceased to be the center of the world at the moment where Constantine founded Constantinople. And in founding Constantinople, he Constantinople was actually very different from Rome because in Constantinople, they integrated a lot of the pagan statues. Some of them were still around rec until recently. They were in the gardens, in the, in the open places, in the, um, in the, uh, the what is it, the, the, where they had the chariot races, uh, the hippodrome. They, they had uh, these remainders of the ancient Roman, uh, raging Roman memories that say the heroes, the different, the different ancient characters of Rome. Uh, but it just, they created a hierarchy. And then that hierarchy, you know, and so the idea would be that obviously the Roman God or the Roman hero could never be above the church, right? The churches were the, the towering, the towering uh, monuments and the cross was at the top of everything. And so you ended up having more of a, of a, of a, of a hierarchy that laid itself out. And the texts that we have from the ancient times were preserved in Constantinople you know, all the plays, all the, all the, you know, even, even the, the hermetic tradition was preserved in Constantinople, you know, all of these texts were actually preserved by, by the, the, the Christian tradition. And so obviously what happened in Rome was messier. It was messier because, because the, the Western Rome was, it was on, was in a decline in general, was in constant danger of being taken over by the barbarians. Um, and so it is a messier, it is definitely a messier story. And obviously, I'm sure that everywhere there were some acts of iconoclasm, you know, like in Alexandria, you hear stories of, of some acts of iconoclasm. Um, but I don't think that it's a, it's as simple a narrative as just saying, you know, that they just pulled everything down. Because in the end, everything we have from the classical world was was preserved by uh was preserved by by Christians, like so in their replacing well, something to be, came to be down. Fair, was preserved by the Muslims too. I mean, during their golden age, they were preserving yeah. the works of which Aristotle they all got so from on. Constantinople. By the way, that is really? all the texts that the Muslims got. They got from mm. Constantinople, well, of course. Yeah, because there's people that claim that like um, Al Ghazali and other ones they brought that knowledge to the uh, Christianized bumpkins of the West. Well, and, uh, yes, yeah. there was <laughs> exoticism. So, so it's true that that as the separation of East and West grew, then a lot of knowledge came from Spain. A lot of knowledge came from yeah. Spain, which was coming from Damascus, coming from Baghdad, and then moving to Spain, and then moving mm -hmm. into like France and to, uh, so, so that's true. But ultimately, all the classical texts that the, that, the, that the Muslims got, they got from Constantinople. For the first few centuries, the, all the, the legislators, all the legal representatives, all the all the the uh, the people who ran the caliphate were Christians. They were they were yeah. Greek Christians from Constantinople or from Damascus. It's like the the, the story uh, of Saint John of Damascus was that he he was basically the vizier. He was the vizier, but he's a saint in the Christian Church, and he ran the 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 the, the caliphate. So, well, even even the Janissaries, they were like mostly Irish or. Uh... Yeah. They were by the way, by the way, for the people who think that I'm anti-Christian, it couldn't be further from the truth. <laughs> I actually no. When it comes to immigration, even and don't worry, I'm not going to go on the tangent. I just want to say, like, when it comes to immigration, I think that a lot of let's say Syrian Christians 
they do live a different life than the Muslim uh, than the uh, Muslims in Syria. And as far as integration goes, they you know it's a it's a much different story. And I think there is something within Christianity that did create the civilization we're living in today. My concern is not so much about that, but it's more about what things do end up getting lost along the way with having this kind of uh, mentality where you would, you know, like we were saying before, you would be somebody who is a good Christian and who would follow your Caesar or follow your Lord, while at the same time knowing that that's not the be-all, end-all of the world, while at the same time being able to be drawn into various kinds of battles or convinced to uh, do evil upon other people for the sake of uh, your religion, even if it's very anti-Christian at its core, you know, this order to do A, B, and C. So what I'm trying to figure out here, and I want to get this to Uberboyo as well, is... What exactly is the situation when it comes to getting most people to a higher level of understanding what is good and what is evil, not necessarily, you know, not necessarily just following whatever it is that their priests say, because, again, there are good examples, but there are also very evil examples of religion being used to have little people do a lot of evil. So, Uber Boyo, take it away. Um, so this this is we can sort of revert it back to a question that came up because um, John was saying, for example, uh, uh, something that he doesn't understand is how like someone will read Nietzsche and then be like Christians are resentful. And he's like, bro, like, you ever, like read about Catholic France. You're like, that's definitely not true. And he's 100 percent correct because um, this is this is a common mistake. Like he says, a slave revolt. And even now I'm focusing somewhat on on the thesis that maybe Rome was a slave revolt. And and that's all well and good. But like ultimately one slave revolt is not that big of a deal. Even if Christianity was a slave revolt, it might've been like, God was like, it's another irony. God uses slave revolt to take over the masters of the world and establishes his religion inside of it. It's like very, very interesting in that type of way. Now the, the true Nietzschean accusation, and, and this is, this is heavy stuff is that it's not a slave revolt in person. It's a slave revolt in morality. It's a slave revolt in the way that we value things, the way that we see things. And it's a fascinating idea. Like the more you look into it, it it's just like, Jesus, man, how we spotted this type of thing. So, um, what you have with the Jews is you have a people who had Israel all those long years ago, they had Israel in the middle East and there wasn't Judea. It was like all Israel, the whole thing put together. And, um, these people, fought and Nietzsche even points this out he, he, he looks at I think it's Joshua where these people were like barbarians like naked will to power type people Martian energy inside of them and Yahweh was coming down to them and saying crazy shit like go in there and run around Jericho and annihilate them kill the women kill the children destroy everything that's your land that type of thing I know it's maybe a little bit of a straw man but again to kind of put up the narrative um, and he goes in and they very nakedly can express that energy they, they have a very clear conscience a very ancient conscience so Achilles-like, um, barbarian-like conscience about, about fighting and taking over. God fills them full of will to power. And, and Nietzsche would talk about this as a, a deist. Like he would say what a God is, and ancient Israel's healthy God was, it was a representation of the collective energy of power that was united in them all. A vision of that. Jupiter was the same for the Romans. And they could um, give gratitude to that. And in return, they would, get, they would get power and health and all these type of things. And so Yahweh was like speaking to the Jews in this type of way and when they were healthy 
this God pulled them, pulled them into Jericho, made them claim the land for themselves and establish um, their, their, their place. And this is, you know, the very monotheistic, highly moral people, very energized, very um, full, like powerful people in every single way. The blonde beast lives inside of them in that type of spirit. They establish Israel and that's brilliant. And then what happens is Israel becomes like it's the center of the world at the time. Uh, the Middle East was like the big civilization. They got really rich. You have Solomon, I think, and all this type of stuff. So it's very dramatic. Like a lot of things happen, of course, but they become incredibly wealthy. Now, what of course happens when you get very very wealthy it's like what happened in rome it's like what, what is happening now the meme good times create uh bad times create strong men strong men create good times good times create weak men and so what you have is like solomon and i think he has a load of wives and he has a load of gold he's like a, just got a load of gold um, and then he gets a load of bures he gets a load of chicks and then they're all coming in and being like oh solomon let's try this new like you know john would be there in the courtroom being like just stick to the fucking rituals lads don't go with any new rituals and then all the bures be like try these new these other rituals from these other religions John's like, don't do it. But then Solomon says, all right, I'll give it a go. And what happens is eventually Israel, Yahweh is like, right, you're now sacrificing babies to Moloch. You're now, you're now into all this weird sexual stuff. You're now, you're, you're hedonist. You know what? Fuck you. I'm sick of you. Fuck you. The will to power leaves them. They become decadent. They become hedonistic and it, they lose the, the energy. And so what happens is there's a, the, I think it's the, Assyri the Assyrians. Apologies, I'm not too good on that side of things. The Assyrians come in, they dominate them, crush them, destroy them. And Yahweh through them, expresses punishment and, and destruction and they lose their will and something very fascinating happens they go they become enslaved and what happens is the warrior caste is killed and the farming caste is killed and so all the jews have left what's so what's the three hierarchies you have the um, the farmers the warriors and the brahmins in catholic france you know uh, peasants kings uh, priests and the Jews had the same thing, the warriors, and they were like very healthy, normal people, as they would say, they had the warriors, they had the farmers, and then they're killed by the Assyrians. And all that's left really is the sort of maybe a couple of uh, farmers and a couple of maybe, I would say all the warriors are probably dead. And then you have the priestly caste. And so what happens to the Jews then is they become a priestly people, a very interesting people. And Nietzsche notices that their destiny sort of changes. Now, this is his big discussion in genealogy of moral and uh, morality, is that they, their religion starts to go like kind of it starts to morph into something that's never seen on earth before where you have a load of priests with no balancing force from kings or warriors because warriors would very naturally have that more aggressive um, I, you know i know it's a lark but like testosterone filled perspective that produces a will to power morality which allows joshua to destroy jericho this type of energy was present there but the priests now are just slaves and trying to keep the Jewish identity coherent. And this is the beginning of their story about being lost in foreign lands, trying to keep their identity coherent. And so what they start to do is they produce a story, a, a way of looking at the world that values, like, what would you do? You'd say, well, we're the good guys and they're the bad guys. Everybody else is the bad guys. That's always what you do. We're the good guys, they're the bad guys. And this creates a, a new ethos, a new story, a new morality, as you would say. And to be meek, to be enslaved, to be moral, to be pious, to be doing, doing the rituals, whatever you want to call it, this is all good. This is what's good. And those, the, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the warriors, the punishers, the, the ruthless, the bad guys, the warrior energy, which only maybe 500 years ago was key to their success key to their success to have kings and warriors something that they wouldn't have dared to disrespect because yahweh empowered it because they don't have that anymore now yahweh has to change the way they relate with yahweh yahweh has to reward patience yahweh has to reward love for community yahweh has to reward tolerance and ethnocentrism these type of things and and it becomes a very very fascinating change in the way that we approach morals which way we approach all this type of stuff and this lays this interesting foundation all all of this history happens the jews end up back 
in the the middle in, in the Levant. Uh, Alexander the Great comes and meets them. All these type of things. But eventually, you have Judea, which is this interesting project. And out of this is where Christianity comes from. And Nietzsche says that's not trivial at all. That's really a big deal because you have the Jews who essentially are conquered by the Romans and you sort of have them operating like uh, a priestly people by themselves uh, with this new weird religion. And to the point where when the Romans came in, the Romans thought the Jews were atheists. This is what they called them. They said, they're, first of all, they're superstitious. They believe that everybody else believes in God in a different way than these fucking crazy bastards. Like what is going on here? They believe that their God is waiting to give them rewards in the future. It's like, well, if God liked you, you'd be powerful now. Like, that's just stupid. Why, why are you talking that way? Yeah, and they didn't have I, a conception of that eschatology. Yeah, that's... And if, you, if we beat you, if the Roman gods beat you, we beat you, well, then our gods are better than yours. Like, give up your god. And like, we will not give up our god. And it's like, oh man, these Jews, like, I can't handle them. They just won't give up their god. And we just won't do it. And it's a whole take that's very, very difficult to deal with. But out of this, it, like, this is almost part of the irony of these people of all people are the birthplace for the values that end up de defeating Rome. They defeat Rome's religion. And uh, look, if you want to say it's a sort of Semitic takeover, like maybe you could say that, but I'm not even sure if that's, that's the, the whole story. I think the main story is actually that it's, it's, it's almost like the priestly archetype is born into Christianity as like the perfect version of a priestly religion, a perfect slave religion, if you want. Slave morality, I mean. And this is the thing that takes over Rome. And this does something very interesting. It becomes like the counter signal to warrior virtues. And we can talk about that because I've said a lot now. So I, I kind of would like to throw it back to the, to the lads. But I'll talk about more like the sort of conflict then between that and mass morality and where it mm. leads us now. Jonathan, I'm very curious about what you think. And also it reminds me a bit of an earlier story, David and Goliath, where you have somebody who does not necessarily rely on brawn so much as being able to have a Prometheus Promethean sense of predicting where that rock is going to land, you know, right on the dome of this, uh, you know, half a Nephilim dude. But anyway, Jonathan, uh, take it over. Uh, I mean, it's an interesting story, like in the sense that that arc is uh, it's an interesting conjecture. I think a lot of it is definitely conjecture. The, the idea that, for example, like the idea that the warrior spirit wasn't there in in the time of uh, of, of Judea, like that's you know you have just not very long before you have the Barcova revolt and you have the you have this return of the king that happens in Israel, um, and it's true that it doesn't necessarily last for a very long time, but it means that the spirit is obviously still mm -hmm. there. Yeah, the, um, the zealots uh, during the yeah, and so the reason why Jerusalem was. The reason why Jerusalem was destroyed is because they refused to be, they refused to be, they just refused Rome. They just refused to, to be told what to do by the Romans. And so Rome basically uh, destroys, destroys Jerusalem. And I think yeah. that Sorry, one of the Gio. reasons, I think one of the reasons why people say that Christ was abandoned by the people was also because they expected, they expected a powerful Messiah. Like they they didn't expect a priestly king to come and and to just be nice. They actually expected a uh, a king to come and take over take over the take over the state. Um, and so, what Christ shows is that these these powers, let's say these kind of these aristocratic powers. So, if you want to take, for example, like if you do want to take the the the. Uh, the, the Vedantic, uh, the, 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 Brahm, the, the four uh, Vajra, whatever, the four castes, like 
the Brahmins are seen as being at the top, like the priests are still at the top. The spiritual power is still at the top. And what Christ reveals is that this, that how the way the reality works is that behind the action or behind the, the power, there's a hidden fragile thing, which is holding it together, like a hidden a hidden aspect, a higher aspect, whatever you want to call it, an identity which is not present in the in the in the uh, in the in the multiplicity. The reason why the warrior is acting, like the, the is not in his actions, and so there's a there's a hidden telos, there's a hidden mystery, and that's one of the reasons why Christianity appears the way it does. That's one of the reasons why King David appears the way it does. That's why King David appears as the littlest one and the little stone which destroys the 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 uh destroys the, the the giant and you can understand it as that as something like you did you actually change the world through mm. ideas or through invisibles you don't change the world through just through brawn that doesn't actually create the true changes which which lead uh, reality further but there is also a question of uh, pressure, both physical and psychological, which uh, before, uh, you know, before Gio mentioned the uh, Hotep Jesus thing, what I wanted to get to originally there. And thank you, by the way, for cutting me off there, Jonathan, because it did bring the conversation back on track. <laughs> but uh, the um, yeah, no, Gio, if you're going to do that, I'm, I'm, I'm going to no. if you're going to do that, I'm going to reply every single time. Anyway, Jonathan, the point that I was getting to is that when there is this kind of pressure, that is either on a people or on individual people, either they succumb to that pressure or they grow from it. So in a way, what I'm curious about here is how important do you think there, you know, there is the need to have this very constant psychological and physical pressure upon people to grow because otherwise they would stagnate. And again, that's another criticism of what I have when people uh, talk about like the glory of little people or romanticizing like Rousseau used to do, you know, the noble savage and all that because, you know, they may have uh, pressures from the environment but not necessarily psychological pressures that force them to, um, you know, to keep to keep coming up with something better than whatever they had before. And I know your point before that you were saying that, you know, how is all that going to end? I don't want it to end with us being roboticized or however you would phrase it. But do you see there being some credence to what I'm talking about regarding there being a kind of psychological pressure that we need to overcome as people as opposed to just sitting around and waiting for some something else to come in and uh, save us from it? I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I don't totally understand the, the nature of your question. Like, I, I would say, let, let me maybe say in terms of the idea of, so, so for example, Christianity definitely emphasizes the transformation of the person. And that's what's mostly important. It's like you become virtuous and you, and you become free, especially. Especially in the Orthodox tradition, it's mostly about being free. It's mostly about not being ruled over by the multiple tentacles of your personalities and your yes. and your desires uh, and that's mostly what it's about and then out of that freedom comes sainthood and sainthood then becomes the beacon by which the kings and the aristocrat act they align themselves on the saints and then they act and then they then they act in the world and if there are no saints then then obviously things start to go go awry um and so anyways, th that's a little thing in terms of the idea of pressure to change, but it's not a, it's not a pressure to, 
to make a faster PS, you know, PlayStation or whatever we're doing. No, I'd say it's a pressure to start adapting more <laughs> critical thinking to have a little bit of skepticism about certain things just so you don't fall into the trap of being, uh, you know, convinced by your Lord to go attack this other person. You know, that's all I'm saying, you know, for no good reason at all, you know, other than self-defense. Yeah. So that's more of the kind of pressure that I'm talking about, which I think has resulted in more people in, let's say, the modern age uh, through, you know, teaching more critical thinking. I'm not saying now it's the greatest time of critical thinking, not at all. I think we're definitely going in the wrong direction there. Well, but that still, led to like, the floodgates. Yeah. That, the instrumental reason of the Enlightenment, that's been more corrosive to the Christian worldview than anything else, right? That's... Because if yeah, you want to talk about, like, yeah. critical thinking, my goodness. It's like, okay, so now my church in my city here is empty, the Catholic church, but they had a nice new age store on the street there. And then like two buildings down, they opened a sorcery school. <laughs> if you want to know like what's going to happen to the lower people, if you want to know what's going to happen to the folk, that's what's going to happen. They're going to all have, they're all, they're all going to have crystals and have copper, whatever. And they're going to go and think they're going to be Harry Potter is what's going to happen. Oh, well, Uber well, Boyo, the TikTok what do you think? witches, they went to battle with Allah and they found yeah. out uh, what's what. So, <laughs> Guys, I need to go. It's been like two hours. I'm oh, sorry. No. To, oh, to I'm very out, sorry, Jonathan. But, uh, Jonathan. I don't have these infinite stream times that you guys seem to have. Well, well, Jonathan, I want to thank you so much for being a part of this. It's always a great pleasure to have you on. And is there any final word that you would want to leave the good people here with? I know. I just want to thank you guys. I thank Uber Boyo, especially. I felt like you were extremely gracious and generous in the way that you uh, interacted with me. I really appreciate it. Uh, and uh, and I think Gotta that go, maybe we should have a more one-on-one -on -one discussion at some point, just you and I. I think that might be oh, a good idea. 100%. Maybe we could take up where we left off here. Yeah, so yeah, much stuff. Call. But like, guys, thanks for thinking of this and organizing it. I, it's not something I would have thought of, but I but I enjoyed it immensely. Oh, Great pleasure oh, to have you on. You. All right, guys. So... I'll see you. I'll see you at some other time. It was great. God bless. Beautiful. Talk to you later. Thank you, John. Bye -bye. Thank you, John. Bye bye. bye, -bye. Don't forget to follow Jonathan Peugeot. Twitter.com slash Peugeot. Jonathan P A G E A U J O N A T H A N. Please follow him. A wonderful speaker. I highly appreciate the time that he took to uh, talk about all of this stuff with us. But uh, I don't know how you are doing on time, Uber Boyo. I wanted uh, uh... to. Yes, it's, it's a bit it's a bit late here, so I'd like to bounce soon enough. But I'll, I'll hang around for a bit. Like, what's well, going on? One sure. last point is about you were talking of uh, the well, the like how how like certain like um, points of moral conduct get adopted over time that the warrior spirit is left. I don't know. It seems that like a lot of this stuff it's very antithetical to at least certain saints and what the scripture says in terms of uh like like i mean you get the whole thing about like christianity being the harbinger of universalism which is in some sense is true but what we're seeing now uh, i i said this point uh i wanted i was thinking about what i was talking about uh with my friend adam lair who's a great art critic i was on his podcast system of systems podcast um sorry his pocket that's his blog his podcast is called safety propaganda and I was talking about our current situation of the last, what, two years. You can't even tell because time is just left from us, right? Like a month becomes like a year. Um, it seems that what they want, and I wanted to write something about this, is they want a total sort of like end of history stagnation and the uh, 
love what do we call on the stream backstreet boys world tour is that yeah, what yeah backstreet it? boys world tour yeah it seems the uh the backstreet boys world tour live in china it seems that they, it's like the perfect thing to keep us in a stasis it's like a, a more like um physical embodiment of like what did mark fisher call it the future is canceled cancellation of the future it seems that like as and i said this on stream with adam i said eschatology the didn't they're gonna keep this going for as long as they can they're going to prevent a total like collapse even though like who knows economic or social pressures or political pressures may you know inertia can only last for so long but it seems that to deny an apocalypse is to deny an eschatology and a transcendence to even deny nihilism as harsh as this sounds because they're forcing people to believe in these sort of inverted secular values. They're forcing people to believe in the biosecurity state, for instance, let's call it that mm. to deny even nihilism to deny the total lack of belief in our current social order is also in a way to deny salvation and transcendence. So I wonder like, what are your thoughts of, of it? Like, it seems that, uh, a lot of YouTubers in these spheres have like shied away apart from like the usual political takes about the uh, Backstreet Boys world tour. Um, and so uh, what do you think Uber Boyle of this sort of deeper significance of how the glowies, the, uh, the, the world order, <laughs> the, the empire, how they're trying to sort of keep us in this stasis over bare life as a Gombin calls it. So like, Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, I can definitely, I might even actually pick up a little bit from what we were talking about with John. Um, it's, it's like, this stuff is just so crazy. I I think about this stuff sometimes. I'd love to make a movie on this because the scope that it's, you can't really tell it without being there and seeing it. So think about, for example, Jesus and Jesus versus the Jews, like what's going on there. And he's in a state, as John was pointing out, that's full of very uh, like animated people. And, you know, the acquisition from the Christians is that these were all um, Satanists essentially in the making and that they were evil and that they were obsessed and they were misrepresenting the religion. And they, of course, killed God in Jesus, who was there to actually fix them. But Nietzsche would try to take the, the case of looking at both sides and he would look at the Jews and he'd say to himself, what was going on there so think precisely what i was talking about earlier where the jews are in babylon and they do this incredible thing where instead of allowing themselves to get consumed by the 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 sort of ethnic ethnic pluralism of a, a big city they they coherently hold together their religion with the priests and formulate a sort of religious set of values that um that that hold everything together and allow them to keep keep an identity together and then when they get judea back they ha- they actually of all things still have this identity and this now nietzsche would say and again, you can argue this all you want, like it's a very controversial take, but he would say that like they bent their religion and even history itself to suit their vision of um, of what they needed. And, and start to think about this, start to think about this. These are the, the Pharisees, the Brahmins, the priests. These, these guys are trying to do something to organize society. They have an un- un- unbelievably mm-hmm. difficult problem at their hand. They have a group of Jews who are in the middle of fucking Babylon who've been conquered and they need to keep them together. So they're doing social organization. Now think about their behavior. They go back to Judea and they th- what is a religion's purpose? What is the ideology's purpose? What is the vision, the, the group think, the collective's purpose? The p- collective's purpose, it's almost like the, 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 the species is creating a, a holistic 
holistic collective worldview that allows them to function coherently. And like people like Jung and Jordan Peterson would say this is bad, but that's like the stupidest thing ever. You know, John wouldn't even agree, agree with the idea that a collective is bad. Like you need a collective to be coherent. And ultimately what you have with, in Judea is maybe it wasn't the perfect religion as but Nietzsche would see that it's these poor dudes, these guys trying to figure out what to do, coming up with a way that they can strategize um, something that coherently holds together their population. So the Pharisees come up with this, you know, kind of dogmatic religion. They stone people who fucking get out of the way. Like it's not like as many parts of it are, are brutal, horrific. You know, they're they're like they might have like this sort of Jewish like extremism or or like by the bookism that type of thing. And if you go against the book, you're going to get a fucking stone in your face or something like this. I think Saint Stephen precisely got that. You know, and Jesus himself, he gets the animus of breaking the religion. They're very very you know morally and, and blasphemy is a very Intense sin. And this is where a lot of that kind of power builds up. But what they're doing there is they're trying to hold together the population to form a resistance against the bigger enemy, which is Rome. And that's actually so understandable. So they're in a crisis when Jesus shows up. They're basically conquered by the Romans. Again, they've just got Judea back and all of a sudden now they're fucking conquered again. They're like, oh, for fuck's sake, lads, is this ever going to stop? Like, what's going to happen? So they have to hold together this religion. And the Pharisees are like the elders who, who've got all these like um, synagogues all around the place that is like their nervous system that they can speak to the people with and they're like the brain that sits up there in the little rooms and they say to themselves all right well how can we how can we um how can we move the population in a successful way to beat these fucking romans this is like the irish trying to get together and say how do we get the english out and so they're mm -hmm. sort of saying to themselves all right we'll, we'll foment revolution and so they start to buy into this and then different little factions come up you get the zealots you get the pharisees and of course jesus pops out of this and jesus is reading the you know the book and the book is like this isn't our values we're not revolutionaries we're none of this type of stuff like we're we're good guys like we're, we don't like this isn't right at all and he goes against the plan and what they see him as is a blasphemer. They see him, you can think of it like they don't even understand him. They see their immune system, their collective immune system rejects him and says, fuck no. Like, we're not taking on this guy. This is a pacifist. This guy is going to sterilize us. And then we're not going to be able to fight back against the Romans. And they want to have a punch against Rome. And Jesus makes a brilliant prediction. He says, listen, guys, you're basically not going to be able to beat the Romans. The Romans are like, this is not how it's going to work. And he was correct. They kept on fighting against that. And then what swoops in, I think it was Hadrian or whoever it was. Was, he just he went mad and he just absolutely crushed them and destroyed them and wiped your day off and, and 70 AD yeah and he started the story yeah. he started the story of the wandering Jew that's how it happened he absolutely blew them the fuck out and then he got rid of the temple Masada. He everything yeah yeah he, he went he went psycho mode like he went sicko mode and that, that was it and and that, that was their fight like they were the Pharisees were going up for that fight and you can actually understand why they were doing it like you can see the coherency you can even see why they rejected Jesus and like there's so many questions you have to ask like were they wrong and um, should they have listened to Jesus? What would have happened if they listened? To These are all really fascinating questions. Ultimately, they didn't, and they became what they became. And that was their story all throughout Christian history then, is that they rejected Jesus, and they ended up being wrong for that reason. And they were mm. like ostracized for precisely that principle well you rejected jesus like and jesus is right and you in order for you to like, this is always how the christians would say it to them in order for you to um accept uh be, be welcome here you're gonna have to accept that you were wrong all those years ago it's like a collective accusation it's very fascinating and it's religious in the sense of like if you want to be part of us you have to surrender to of, of all people the guy you rejected like it's 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 the strangest most ironic thing that european history and jewish history was tied in that type of relationship and then what you have is the kind of question of like well this this is the nietzschean spin is like well maybe the jews sort of save themselves by rejecting jesus because jesus is 
representative of, as I said, the Jews go to Babylon, they sterilize their religion, turn it into a slave morality. And then when they get their Judea back, they get angry again, they get fired up, they want to fight. And that's great. And then, uh, <laughs> then Jesus comes and he represents the actual religion as it's been formed, which is a slave morality religion. And they reject it. And Nietzsche's sort of like, maybe that was a blessing in disguise that they said no. And then Jesus goes into Rome and infects Rome with a slave morality. And this leads to this very interesting process in history. Now, this is like so kind of like conspiratorial, but this, this process where what happens is Rome is now infected with a sterile, a sterile agent. And this then slave morality spreads to all of Europe through Rome. And then what you have is essentially Christianity capitalizing on the energetic animist pagans of Rome and over the course of 2000 years sterilizes them into the last man, which we have now. And you, of course, you have the Jews who rejected that and they had like this huge amount of social pressure. And so they're like in an awful lot, not as a whole, like they're very broken up people in many ways, but they have an awful lot more, you could say, psychological energy nowadays because they haven't been worn out by the long process of being Christianized the way that the rest of Europeans have. And this is where Nietzsche would, would place his bets on them in many ways. And it's like, man, when you read it, you're like, whoa, bro, that's such a crazy oh. take. I don't know what to make so it So he, he predicted that they would... Uh... Never mind. I'm not going to well, finish is, that thought. Well, Gio, that's it, too, it's, it's actually, that's too much. I mean, it's actually interesting to think well, about like uh, Israel today being kind of like the next step after Judea, where they're oh, the I, well, temple. they're sort of they're using an empire. Never, never mind. I'm not. Gonna, but uh, when it comes to don't goad me into back, it, love. I'm going to start posting. This goes uh, back. This goes back to know. the. Pr this goes back to the pressure thing that I was mentioning oh. before, Uberboyo, where when you do have a people who are constantly being. Uh, you know, suppressed and uh, beaten up, and uh, all you know, all of all of these forces against them. What happens? They do end up sticking together, and they do end up growing from the pressure. Yeah, hundred percent, that, and that's precisely what he says. And again, you have to think of it as like down to earth, and you have to be cynical. Yeah, like you know, like the Jews would be, and um, like do stuff like be ruthless to their own people in many ways. They would be very ruthless to outgroups and many many other ways. Oh, yeah. Like this is perfectly normal, but at the same time, there's a perfectly justified reason. Like there's actually something kind of like you know understandable about it. They're trying to keep together. They got they they lost their home. And this is a, an eternal story they find themselves in. And it's actually an, a sign of incredible mental strength that they're able to hold that identity despite being dispersed all across the world. And Nietzsche would say stuff like, you know, if you really think about that, these, these people are so well adjusted for modernity because they're like, you know, they're like prepared to have a coherent identity in um, urban situations spread across a vast amount of nations. Like that's such a brilliant place to be. Now, again, like not all the Jews are really on board with that. They don't hold the identity that strong anymore, but like it's there. And that's a fascinating thing. Thing. And Nietzsche would look at the, the Germans and the Christians and the Europeans, which he would see as the people he's critiquing, because he ultimately sees them as the people he wants to redeem, because he sees huge amount of potential in them. He obviously like would say that the Jews have a huge amount of potential as well, but like we've got a huge amount of potential, that we Europeans, as he'd often say. And his kind of point is that you, you should stop scapegoating them and look at what they did right. Like what, look at what went well for them, despite the kind of craziness, like just look at that stuff. And they, they had this pressure forced upon them that shaped them into uh, the specialists that they were. Now, the question for you european is that all right you're been christianized christianity has sort of done this interesting thing that has made you averse to you could say pressure in certain ways 
and it's as he would say a slave morality and he would often say you if we consciously need to give birth to ways of invoking that type of pressure it's literally like a guy who is uh you know he's 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 grown up in modernity and he hasn't been in the gym for his whole adult life and eventually you just have to slap him in the face and be like listen bro like go to the gym like impose some pressure on yourself create some type of structure in your life that forces you to actually develop yourself grow change evolve animate you've got to do something like this type of thing you can't just keep dealing with this cope and these lulling ideals that have synced you down into this position yeah. where you find yourself now where you're like a, a derp playing like video games hoping that the end of the world is going to save you and all this type of stuff animate yourself go for it mm. establish something reawaken those instincts and those animated instincts that the slave morality killed off um yeah and and then to kind of bring it back to what geo is saying is um that that idea about like what are what, what's going on now so again i'm talking about the jews holding their pharisees and creating that world vision and collective worldview in their tribe for a reason and the same thing is happening now with the this like you know the three letter companies and all this type of stuff like that's exactly what they're doing it wouldn't make sense otherwise like these people i probably see themselves as the good guys and they're trying to hold together a very complicated problem they have a vision and i'm almost certain that they must be here on some level that they see the world as like the right way for the world to go, just like the Jews saw themselves as having to get the kingdom of Israel. And the way they do that, they'd rebel against Rome. And the way they were going to organize is to push the fight towards getting that back again. These people, whoever they are in America, are like, you know, I don't know how it works, but they are probably sitting down there, same psychological archetypes, thinking of a vision of a world, which is a globalized world where we're all in it together, all shared and all these type of things. Yeah. And their idea is that that's fair. You'll have like a sort of capitalist, semi-socialist capitalist system, maybe with UBI that gives people access to a lot of different things. And basically what you need to do is you need to, I, I, I hate to break it to you, but you need to kind of buy people off to kind of get them to lull a little bit and, and accept the kind of modern world as it is you'll need to kind of force upon them less meat eating and like discourage them from eating as much meat discourage them from being as consumerist because you need to protect the environment you need to do all these type of things they're sort of preparing for a new vision of a new world like while this post-humanist vision does not seem to employ as much pressure that's the thing that's that's the thing that scares me the most and that's that's a really good point. And but but you think about it is like this is this is the kind of dark, this is like the brave new world dark side of things. You know, is that like why why would it need pressure if mm -hmm. you're, like maybe only certain people need pressure. You know, maybe maybe the, the the feudal peasants won't need pressure. Like maybe the vision they have is something like um, VR will be will get everybody playing um, NFT yeah. video games and will monetize their consciousness. It's like, and it's like biopower. It's like the societies of control, but like on steroids, where like it goes beyond just mere biopower, like in surveillance. Now it's like the the subject the human becomes like a packet of information mm. to be distributed like even your own dreams in the neural link will like you'll have to like uh have some fucking dlc pack or you'll have what's the freemium thing like you have to pay to like you know go past the ad block for mm. your own dreams right? but see it's so. <laughs> interesting to think about this when you reverse engineer it where you have a situation which i confess this is kind of why i have a btr over here BTR acts as a mechanism of applying psychological pressure from Geo and the chat upon me, which oh, forces me to oh. grow beyond the pressure. That's pretty much it. That's pretty much what it is. So I do think that ends up working. I mean, look at all the Nobel Prize winners and all that kind of stuff that you could t take a look at as far as what my people have been able to achieve upon the modern state. And it's interesting to think about, though, that um, when it comes to 
somebody who I think uh, would not consider themselves, like I don't consider myself to be Jewish religiously. I don't do the holidays. I mean, we had the conversation before with Hotep Jesus about that. But at the same time, like when he asked me, like, do you consider yourself to be Jewish? My response was, even if I were to not consider myself to be Jewish, other people will. It's not something that I would be able to do anything about or hide. And I find that this is something, nor do I want to hide it, but I find that this is something that a lot of, let's say, Jewish people who are not practicing, which I don't know if you know this, but there's tons of Jewish people that have nothing to do with Judaism whatsoever. Yet yep. there's still that same pressure that is applied upon them, which uh, I'm curious what happens there, because you don't have the bedrock of having to do all these religious ceremonies at the same time. Like, I don't consider myself Nietzsche, to be an atheist. Nietzsche actually noticed this as well, that, uh, like, his adamant suggestion was, that, like, most most of the Jews just don't give a fuck anymore. They're like, you know, mm. you could probably say to them, hey, guys, let's create a new perspective. And this is a very serious problem because most of Europe, especially in his day, was Christian. And so what are you going to say to the Jews? Like, turn Christian. But his sort of saying, his suggestion was that there's an opportunity now where, like... The, the Europeans could invent a new take. Maybe it won't even be the Europeans. It could be anything. And the, oh, the Ubermensch yeah. or something like that. And and you could welcome a lot of people into it. And it could be more of a big tent movement than you think. And he was sort of suggesting something like that. His his proposition was along those lines. Um, so what that means is quite fascinating. But I guess the even more interesting one is maybe to bring a bit of Jung in is that are we able to escape what we are? Like, this is a hard question. Like, are you able to... Um, what, what was the Jewish religion made for? And um, like, what, what was the purpose? As I said, the Pharisees were trying to hold together a people and an identity for this reason. And when uh, like a, a Jew, a modern Jew decides, I don't want to be Jewish anymore, or they just lose faith in the religion. Like, th that's actually such an interesting question, because maybe they don't believe in the rituals, just like the Christian doesn't. But are, are they, are they, is it possible to separate them from that, that story? Maybe it is. But it's actually a very complicated question. Is it possible to separate the Irish from the Irish story? Like, it's, it's quite a strange thing. And, and then the offerings of places like America is actually yes, like it is. And you can come over here and surrender your, your past and your collective identity and be born as an American. And that's actually like a very, very interesting project that seems to work on many levels and have its complexities and others. And, um, and this is- Well, the, for this... now, it's slowly crumbling, but- uh, Well, and then, geo, uh -huh. a crumbling is another way of saying pressure to me, which means that some people will succumb and some people will not succumb. A quick aside, I just wanted to add, which I didn't get a chance to say before on the uh, podcast we had, was that uh, the area that my kind of like my great great parents were from in Russia, this area was very close to the same one where uh, Kirk Douglas came out of. And if you look at Kirk Douglas, you know, handsome guy, you know, very ubermensch type qualities in him, uh, you know, blonde hair. Like I said this before on the uh, well, in the chat, but I don't know if you know this, Geo. Pretty much all of my ancestors, if we're talking about like my great grandmother and so on and so forth, they were light blonde, blue-eyed people. So I'm just want to throw that out there, just to go against this whole stereotype that people have of you know Jewish people being like these nebbish, you know whatever, like the blonde beast, whatever you say, uh, Uber Boyo. This is something that is alive inside of uh, my ancestors, and I'd say it's very much alive in me. And this blonde beast, Geo, is going to take over the fucking world, like it or not. This is why the pressure is being applied right now with your subscriptions, with you becoming a patron on Patreon.com. <laughs> Break the rules. What this is what a shame. This is how we grow, and this is how I am going to assume the position of the Ubermensch 
and this is my declaration to you. And with that, Uber Boyo, I am going to talk about the stream we are going to have with Jason Giorgiani, another great piece oh, of the man. puzzle, trying to figure out what exactly this is about, and me getting on the road to becoming the blonde beast Ubermensch. This is how it happens. Really get this testy. Is the, I don't know. This is the great. This is the greatest. BTR is the greatest RPG of all time. I am playing this RPG right now, and I'm doing pretty damn good. We have surpassed 6,000 subscribers today, oh, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, God. We did it. So we are on the way. We started doing this around May. We had 300. Now BTR has 6,000 subscribers and counting. This is thanks to Uberboyo. This is thanks to Jonathan Peugeot. This is thanks to Styx. This is thanks to everybody who has participated in this, grown this, so something great can grow of this. And I guarantee you, ladies and gentlemen, I am going to be working damn hard all day and night if you count the dream sessions to grow thanks to all your help. Anyway, uh, Jason Giorgiani. <laughs> Uber Boyo, any thoughts on what is going to await us with uh, the Jason Giorgiani episode no this idea. Tuesday? Oh, God, I, I just hope Christianity doesn't come up. Oh, my God. Uh, Gio, yeah, we're going to have to have to go beast we, mode. <laughs> we're going to have to go beast mode. I'll, I'll come in, all right? I'll be like, I just converted to Islam. You say you're, <laughs> we'll go ahead and go Christian. And then, oh, Lev, you can say you're, you're like, yeah, I do converted. Well, I wanted I, to I, ask I'm looking at the... Judaism again. We're all Abrahamists in here, Giordani. Oh, Jason, how do you feel about that? I wanted, <laughs> I wanted to ask about Heidegger, actually. That would be interesting. I, He's got an interesting take i'm not even too sure what to talk to him about because he is um like he's 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 got so many like absolutely nuts takes that are so oh, huge fuck. in conception that like they're just yeah. so big in like the, the the realm of thinking that they're coming from that i'm gonna have to see if we can find even common ground to talk about so that'll be the one thing but uh um i'll probably bounce soon enough i'm gonna bounce in about mm. six minutes well, well let's we do super, super chats, chats then yeah here we go all right we free spirits how can christ save us from the increasingly real dangers of transhumanism well speaking of Giorgiani, that's gonna be uh that's definitely well, Johnny something. says, let's go when it comes to that. But uh, yeah, well, I, I would say that Christ, uh, the transhumanism really is, at least in part, in parcel, will probably be related to the Antichrist. So we'll see what happens with that. I don't know. There we go. And again, I disagree with Giorgiani on the uh, transhumanist model. I think a lot more inner work gets us to a better uh, state of mind than having to apply I machinery think upon us. But I don't mean to be like rude. But I think like with Giorgiani, I think he got so burned by like the Spurgs and the alt-right that he, I, I think he's like trying to purposefully counter signal a lot of his older associates just to like, dis not just to distance himself, like, you know, as an OPSEC thing, but I think like he truly genuinely felt betrayed. I mean, I don't blame him. Like, I mean some of these people he no, was uh, no, well, you know, regardless, fuck, regardless of whatever well regardless of whatever is going on in that sphere what i'm well, going to be focused on during the show is his ideas and the validity of his ideas and uh, whether we disagree on certain things agree on certain things and what we can what we can make of all these fascinating things he's talking about related to extraterrestrials related to uh, the spectral lines. realm yeah spectral revolution baby okay next we have um <laughs> nico ARS 100, which is not as big as it sounds, but I still really appreciate it. That's actually 1.03 United States dollars, and that's Argentinian pesos. Still appreciate the ever-loving heaven out of that. Nico says Rome destroyed itself in victory. It was crumbling as Christ arrived. What Nietzsche liked was self-destroying. 
what, arri what arrives now is not chaos, like Nietzsche said. It's Antichrist. It lives in his stories. Any thoughts, Uberboyo? Um, so is there a, is that a statement or it's more of a statement than anything? Yeah. Well, okay. I think maybe like Nietzsche didn't um, predict chaos, rather, um, rather a sort of stasis, I guess. That would be like the last man. I don't right. know. He, def he definitely predicted chaos in, in, in many ways. Um, mm. I, again, like I'd revert back to the thing I was saying earlier, where he, in, in essence, was looking. You can imagine that he was standing on a cliff and he was seeing down the cliff or down the mountain, if you want. And it was like he was standing at this point in history and time, not this place, but this actual point in history and time. And he was looking down into the future. And in the future, he saw the sinking downwards. He always used these metaphors in Zarathustra, the sinking downwards and also the possibility of an up ascending upwards. And so he basically thought that, uh, you know, Rome was going to crumble in front of him. And you had this opportunity of you can sink down like the last man, get digested in the chaos and the death of God and go into the hedonism and become, you know, brave new world out of it and get all this type of stuff and get plugged into the matrix. Or you can actually uh, adapt, uh, embrace the chaos um, like the Goths in the fall of Rome, hustle your way through the situation um, and assert yourself upon the, 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 the situation and establish something new. And, and the problem is, is that you won't really know what this is. No one's going to know what this is. The death of God is going to leave us in a position of postmodern chaos, This which is precisely what he meant by that, like a, a position of not knowing what is real. And um, yeah. the only thing you're really going to be able to trust is your instincts, your gut, your, your Dionysian instincts. And he, he basically said, like, whoever can properly connect with their instincts and release them will, will be okay. Like, that's, that's the people who will be able to get out of it. And, and this is the problem is that, like, that's hard because the vast majority of what we have now is Apollonian neurotic left brainism. That's what literally the definition of modern society, which is actually so fascinating. So most people just get trapped in that. They get trapped in not being able to critique yeah. the noggin-ist nonsense that gets into but, their heads. But people and like to... Oh, go ahead, Sarah Uberboyle. Well, you know, just because they can't critique the noggin-ism, they end up being last mm. man. That's how it is. But people um, like to think that they are... Um, rhizome or gender... Oh, I would say rhizome info. Um, no, people like to think that they're Dionysian, though. That's the great irony of it. This is, again... People like, like to think they're the Sigma male. Yeah, well, no. What I mean is, well, like... <laughs> well, the 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 point of the night the, the point of Dionysus like because Dionysus is not necessarily good at all yeah it's exactly just, it's just a yeah. phenomenon same way as Apollo yeah. is very good but yeah, also yeah. could be very sterile mm. stale and sterile and so the whole idea is that you had the Apollonian frame of Christ Christ was essentially Apollo for the Europeans and he was the ego of the um, of the West and God was his father who held it all together and you know God fell apart the whole ego fell apart the West didn't have a fucking clue what it was. And then out of this, we enter into a Dionysian state. So this is like, you know, a girl, like after taking a shitload of drugs, wandering through a festival and like anything could happen to her. She could be, she could have the best experience of her life or the worst experience of her life. It would be horrible what could happen to her. Mm. And, but the, the point is that when you're in a Dionysian state, suddenly you stop thinking and you start letting your instincts unleash themselves and come up and guide you and make mm. and help you make decisions but in it, this way. It seems like the way that they're, I think even Paglia talked about this, like, it's this really weird, like Apollonian approach to the Dionysian itself, because the way that they're doing it is like, it's restrained and it's like a simulation. And it's very much what Bojir had talked about in the after the orgy. It's like, you've transgressed everything. Now you have to LARP transgression by reenacting what was of the past. You see this in Hollywood all the time. This tweet came up today about people thinking, you know, 
that Hollywood still depicts rural America as like these bumpkin, like these virtuous people or whatever. But what I mean is like, think of like, um, I know like I'm getting off on a fucking tangent. This is terrible, but, uh, know. you know, like King culture, yeah. like, like the fucking, the furries and the, the BDSM and all mm. it's like, it's this organized contractual consent based shit that is trying to be Dionysian. Yeah. It pretends but it's to really be Apollonian. Right, it pretends to be right brain, even yeah, yeah, though yeah. it's very left yeah. brain. All the TikTok it's witches. It's very much terrible. Yeah, cuckoldry is like very left brain. Yeah. It's very much like yeah. you're doing this like. Well, it's very conservative. That's it's, it's like, and I know you got to go right now, but it's oh, like. Oh, sorry, Uberwell. Yeah, yeah. Real quick, it's like with my ex-girlfriend where I consider her to be very, very conservative at having to succumb to all these various rituals that uh, college uh, students go through, where they all have to You have to, to plan out your hedonism. These... Yes, exactly. They <laughs> oh. all have to do this specific kind of drugs. They all have to, you know, act in a very similar way. And it is a kind of conservatism. It locks people in, which is, again, why... I understand that chaos is a dangerous thing and it's a very, uh, you know, caustic uh, thing to have. But I still don't like this uh, idea that people have to lock themselves into these programs where, I don't know, like this, is, this was again my issue with uh, certain negative aspects that I see in many organized religions. That people are locked into these ways of being where they don't even get that close into the actual substance of the book or the Bible or the Quran or whatever, it's more like they get into this mindset of just listening to whatever the hell they're being told by their superiors. And that's what I but see we as can't, being very dangerous. But another thing before Burboyle leaves, we can't delude ourselves like as to our own fallen state, even though we know like you know, we like know our place and we, we know how things are going, but that's not any, you know, different. There's this great comment here by Hatcher. There's a burgeoning class of childless 30-year-old online intellectuals I'm observing here. These vril uncles need to find a wine aunt, make some babies, and come back in 10 years. Well, I mean, I agree with that. I, I'm no different, too. I'm almost, well, I'm two years away from 30 years old. But, like, I, I think that even people that are in the know, um, you know what I mean? Like, even people who know better are still subject to... Uh, the machinations of this world. I mean, Jonathan Pajou is a family man and he's contributed a lot to society. And, uh, you know, I think that it's just, it's a funny thing. I, I do, I hate to say it, but I do know some the best people, they are still f in these traps of, you know, what we are, right? So. Absolutely. Well, Uber Boyo, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate the time. Did, um, Yes. I, I want to ask, how are you doing sure. in Super Chats? Because if people are throwing cash for Super Chats, like, I don't mind answering a few more of those before I bounce. So, All right, okay. see if there's a few of them. Yeah. Okay, so I see uh, one more here. Nico, ARS100, the weakness of what Nietzsche likes is that those who want all to themselves in the end destroy themselves. You need something universal that can hold everyone together. It only lasts for a little while. Oh. Great question. So that, that's a great question. Um, but like sometimes when people are making statements about Nietzsche, it's like uh, they're, they're like accusing him of uh, a bit too simply because like in fairness to him, you know, 
he's, he's he might be evil he might literally just be the bad guy like it's very possible <laughs> like he has some pretty extreme takes oh, yeah. um but at the same time he's definitely not simple like he's not he's not and it's not like he's missing out on 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 very like you know the idea of a universal religion it's, it makes very simple sense like it does actually kind of make sense we need something that brings everybody together on the surface but the more you think about it it's like no that's not really true because um you don't need that you need systems of organization that work on variety of different levels so for example this idea of you're having a hierarchy as me and john were talking about of uh, brahmins on top and then kings and then peasants down in the middle like you've got you know ascendancy and paradigms and different levels in a hierarchy or something like this and um actually in pagan religions these people would have different conceptions on each level like there would be you know the sort of understanding that if you entered into the roman army you would be more in alignment with the martian god and if you're a woman you would be have like hera and artemis to kind of give you models and archetypes to kind of guide yourself and the idea of like this being universal is certainly true you can create something that speaks to everybody but at the same time you you do also need something that that's nuanced and specific and nietzsche's focus is quite interesting he's not trying to create a universalist religion he's yeah. not trying to create something for everybody he's actually quite clearly saying that he wants to create whatever part of the future worldview because a religion and a worldview aren't separate they're the same they're the same thing they're a weltanschauung and whatever type of thing comes next in the future is going to need to have a place for the way that the top level people think because he would argue and i think this is a really good argument is that no matter how christian the the aristocrats of europe got they were still barbarians like they were still savages you know they would like go out and kill the muslims for christ and people will say that's evil it's like it's it's not it's just them doing what the muslims are doing back to them it's just it's but it, it's hypocritical yes but nietzsche would say like who gives a fuck if it's hypocritical you know you're in, as long as your instincts are pulling you forward that's all that really matters and this is again this problem of obsession about everything has to be coherent and true instead you could just listen to your gut and your instincts which nature has designed over billions of years and it will guide mm -hmm. you perfectly fine and learn to listen to them this, so this is why is, I doubt when people like charge Nietzsche. I mean, he did. I mean, let's not like in terms of the genealogy of philosophy, it's true. But when people like accuse Nietzsche of like whole cloth, like he invented postmodern relativism, like it's, yeah, 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 yeah. It's, you know, I, like, I mean, yeah. yeah, because Nietzsche inevitably led to Foucault, then Foucault and Derrida, and, but then that's not even because Foucault. I well, mean, Foucault is the, the best Foucault, disciple of Nietzsche, but it's not. Yeah, well, Foucault also ended straight up, line. You know, ended up Foucaulting uh, a couple of uh, well. Clev, every time, <laughs> listen, I'm. I get it. Every see, fucking see. where in the online right, I know. I'm sorry. I just went to fucking grad school to learn about Foucault, and this is what I get in return. <laughs> so, this is. This, this ahead, is. This this is a great another great kind of caveat to this as well because this is like I think you're saying there's this guy called Logos Stateless or something like yeah, this, yeah, yeah. who um, was saying the likes of like uh, Epstein or uh, the uh, Jeff Bezos or like yeah the Rodichians like. yeah and, and like he, like he's sort he's sort he's he's sort of correct like he's correct in many ways <laughs> yeah. but but this is it's it's a kind of different frame because what what someone like Foucault represents is a Nietzschean like Foucault listened to Nietzsche yeah. and Foucault applied his thinking and the problem is is that you can you can moralize you can 
bitch about Nietzsche all you want, but if he's ultimately correct and correctly conceptualizes reality and the people who listen to him then use him to correctly conceptualize reality and then establish power because of this, yeah. you're going to be led by those people. And actually the, the, the right thing for you to do is to be the people who correctly apply Nietzsche and establish, establish yourself in power so you can impose your understanding of the good. And let's goddamn hope that your understanding of the good is the right good. And that's a very difficult challenge. You believe that your, your, your will is good. That's a really interesting problem. Yeah. And because most people just pathologize all versions of will. But say, for example, you believe your will is good. You're the right guy to lead. Let's put it this way. Very dangerous statement. But let's assume that you're that type of guy. You would have to sit down and study power and the Nietzschean system, like the way Nietzsche sets things up. And you would have to go up there and make sure that like you have power so you can, so Epstein doesn't have power. So Jeff Bezos doesn't have power. Like if you really cared that much, instead of we're just sitting around kind of bitching about it, you'd get very serious about building those counter systems to form a sort of resistance against that type of stuff. And maybe not even like a rebellious resistance, but just create a nexus of power for yourself so that you're not able to be a pushover and Epstein can't come in, come in and rob your girl and do what he wants to her in a private island. Like, you know, be his his version, like his instincts were living through him. I think he, he tried to buy a ranch in the middle of America and set up a breeding farm for him to impregnate as many women as possible. Yeah. Like he's just living out his instincts. And that's, that, that, that's just annoying you. That should annoy you. That should sit down. You should be like, what the fuck? How can he get away with something like this? What, what the hell is going on here? Like, this is ridiculous. Like, he sh like you, you failed. You failed that all those girls were able to, uh, he was able to get all those girls and do that to them. That's your fault because you're weak and because you cope and because you rationalize. Yeah. That's ultimately your fault and you have to take that serious. And so, um, Someone like Foucault. Foucault is such a fascinating study because he is very easy to just look at and be like, oh my God, dude, this guy's a mess. This guy's dodgy. This guy, I don't like this guy at all. I don't like his vibe. I don't like stuff he did. But then, for example, read his thing about biopower. Um, mm. I think it's called uh, uh, the, 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 the Totalentopia or something like this. And the Heterotopia. The, something like that. And then the idea of uh, the, the, the study of plagues. That's, I think it's called mm. plague is the actual thing. And you read through that and you see this thing where he, he says the plague was the ultimate um, political tool to achieve power because what it did is gave the, pe the, yep. the people in power an excuse to establish um, identification systems and accountancy systems. Yeah. Which, which, yeah. So it's a, it's a political technique for achieving power. And of course, you look around, you're saying to yourself, wait a second, people have been reading Foucault for, since, he, since the 80s and the people in power now probably know Foucault inside out and they're probably just applying what they're reading. He uses a manual. They, they're, yeah. they're just using it as a manual. And you're there and you're like, Foucault was a gay man. And you're like, well, look, bro, like, yeah, you're. But then like when, but then when someone like Giorgio Agamben, who is like the most preeminent Foucault emissary in our timeline, since the, you know, since he died of AIDS onwards, when Giorgio Agamben points that out, you know, I have the book right here, actually, he, his, his writings on the, uh, the world tour, um, where are we, where are we now? It actually has a foreword, believe it or yeah. not by uh christopher caldwell i couldn't fuck him wow. like can you imagine Wait, this george ogombin alive now yeah he's, he's still, still alive we he's should get him on the show he does speak english but I, I that would probably be impossible he never does interviews he did like one interview this year um that's one but, that's not zero well, yeah so we, we have hope so uh when he like points all of this out and i believe the text you're referring to Berboyle, is um territory society and state or um it was either that or society must be defended. Uh, like when he points that out about our modern situation, he gets denounced. He gets like whole books written about how evil this is in fucking Varso 
you know, like Agamemnon was the darling of Varso books, right? Like this is, you know what I mean? I, anyways, I'm just love going with super chats because Uberboil has to go. We've talked. All right. About, no, that, yeah. that, that's it. Okay. There was, I maybe we'll have the more... stream on the world tour with maybe someone yes. like Jeffrey Schollenberger who, yeah, talks about this. There so was, okay. Ahead. There was one more super chat before here from Ricardo Williams, five bucks, uh, who asked like whether he should care mm -hmm. about, uh, like, uh, the Holocaust or Armenian genocide more. And he's disgusted by both. <laughs> oh, oh got also... you by the tail there. Oh, so, no, I'm sorry. And, and also, uh, thank They're you. They're both and, terrible. And you need to have God word podcast on. Uh, I mean, look, let's see what happens. Uh, I have to, uh, I have to take a look. There's a lot of DJing that needs to be done here. 50 ARS from Nico. Nietzsche was wrong. The world doesn't obey this dynamic of the stronger wins. The strong, when they're not in line with the good, uh, something themselves. F themselves, I guess. Uh, we could say, uh, yeah, well, we could say fuck. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, look, I'm going to have to bounce. I'm going to have to All bounce. All right, that's it. All right. Yeah. Well, thank you, Uber Boyle. This has been amazing. See you uh, next good, week. Good See luck. Thank you, very, thank you very much for uh, bringing on John and me as well. It's great to actually like chat to him and whatnot. And um, yeah, like gents, thank you very much. And all the people watching, like by all means, give these guys a subscribe. They actually work really, really hard to try to get as many people as possible to really run a podcast like. So oh, give, yeah. them, give them a look. They'll, they're like apps out there hustling. Um, and uh, yeah, like, you know, probably know me. You can find me on Uberboyo uh, over on YouTube. Check that stuff out. And uh, hope you enjoyed. Talk to you later. Thank you very much. Thank you, Uber Thank you so sir. much for coming in. So, bye guys, bye. this is what... Bye-bye. So, this is what we have uh, for you next week coming up. So, we have, of course, Jason Riza Giorgiani. That is happening on Tuesday, 1 p.m. So, uh, wake up bright and early. Get ready for that. Oh, then we are gonna have. Then oh. we are going to have uh, the Afghanistan stream. That's oh, going God. to be... That's going to be with uh, the uh, Huntsman. He is coming back. Huntsman is coming back along with the Prudentialist. He's coming back. We may have another surprise guest. We have then... Indian Paul Bronson? Yeah. Well, we'll see what happens. Oh, then we oh, have... Uh, sorry. Was that Paul the surprise love? Uh, no. Then we have Paul oh. Rossi and Sticks Hexenhammer 666, 7 a.m. Back to school stream. The back to school special. So we better listen to the song Back to School by Defton, which, by the way... I don't like how they did the reissue of White Pony. It should have been Feisty Sarah at the beginning, but then they just threw in this like bullshit single to appeal to the MTV crowd at the time with uh, Back to School. Sorry, that's all my own. That's my own bullshit. Sorry, love. There is also a song I like, Back to School by Sick Animation. Okay, oh Mark yeah, M. that's right. So the bus yeah. rolled in at 7 a.m. The first day of school is where my story begins. My mama packed a lunch but forgot the chips, and my brand new pair of Jenkos got a case of the rips. Sat there for a moment, seriously frustrated, ate my lunch, went to class, but hated it. It's the doo-doo <sighs> pants, and it's your boy like, whoa, couldn't hold it for an hour, positively no. So I prayed for the bell, but it ne never came. My license plate says fresh, but my jersey says shit stain. Now oh, I'm God. Oh, God, I can't read some of these lyrics for YouTube. Anyway. Sick animation. I love I love you, Markham. Please come on our show. Although Markham never goes on any show at all, so that's probably a pipe dream. <laughs> Next we have over here Adam Krigler. Adam Krigler, Thursday, September 9. That is 3 p.m. Then we have Grift Shop, Grift Stream coming in, and we are also gonna have a special guest for the Grift Stream, and that is going to be uh somebody that you know, Geo, Bad Billy Pratt. 
author. Oh, finally. Yes. Going to promote his book. Yes. By the way, please go to Amazon. Go to Terror House Press. I know a lot of you don't like Matthew Forney, but he does a good job with Terror House. Go and buy my friend Billy Pratt's book, Welcome to Hell. It's, I wouldn't say it's better than Delicious Tacos. It gives you a different take of that same genre of internet smut. It's amazing. I love it. He's a good, I've known Billy Pratt for years. He's a great friend of mine. So I can't wait to have him. I can't believe it's going to be September. Yeah. But you see, back when I was in university, and even before that, uh, ever since I was a little kid, um, late August was always a terror for me. I always hated it. I hated the anticipation of going back to school. But now that I'm a fucking need, I don't care anymore. So uh, it's really great to enjoy the coming of the fall, because in Canada, uh, the fall is, uh, the autumn is uh, one of the only good times of the year. Because right now, it's like terrible, this fucking humidity uh, I live on top. I'm not going to dox myself, but in Niagara, my town. Uh, see if I say it, then people are going to know. But my town is like on top of a hill, like the higher part of the escarpment. And so, like, we get all the bad air that comes from the southern United States. And so it's just been muggy as hell. Like, you go outside, and it's just damn. Well, that's like the song uh, View from a Hill by Roxette. Don't worry, I'm not going to sing. Uh, Nico, 50 ARS. Geo, look at the USA-USSR conflict. Mm-hmm. USA didn't beat them like a Greek hero by being stronger. The USSR destroyed itself by being cruel and antichrist. Yeah. Oh, right. but here's the thing. I think I agree with Bronze Age Pervert that um, we don't know what fascism would have produced because it was destroyed uh, by the outside, whereas communism destroyed itself on the inside. To be, I mean, there's people that to debate, like if like you talk a, to Logo, he'll say that the West subverted them. <laughs> like the, Well, the, Geo, to be more like the West like subvert a, the Soviets to be, like, <laughs> to be more like a Jesse Lee Peterson over here, yeah. uh, where is Bronze Age pervert now? I rest my case. He's on, he's on Telegram. All right, good, fine. Uh, next we have oh see you tried to trip listen i don't i don't condone what people on twitter what chris bond did on twitter i think i still think i have my criticisms of bronze age pervert but i still think that he's a force for good uh anyways no and and by the way when it comes to bronze age pervert or anybody else love i'm surprised that you're subtweeting is that because he left twitter now you've been given the space how dare you, you no, Judas! I just, I just wanted no, to do kidding. a, I just want to do a Jesse Lee Peterson impression. Oh, that I thought is... you were doing the Sopranos thing. No, no, no. Jesse Lee Peterson says like, "Where is so and so now?" Oh I yeah, rest my case. No, but that yes. came from the Sopranos uh, when the Jew, the Hasidim, the the guy that owned the hotel, like he had to do the get, and like you know the all the Jewish uh, the guys the muscle the. You know, yeah, we're the Romans now. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah, what you're yeah, yeah. About. So he's like, "Hey, fuckhead, you're looking no. at him," and it's like there, it's like Tony, Silvio, and Paulie. Um, yeah, but I don't, but I don't think that Jesse Lee Peterson was inspired by watching The Sopranos. Although I did, maybe start, not. Man, I, I did know. start watching The Sopranos earlier. Actually, the day before yesterday, I saw the pilot episode. Oh yesterday. yeah, that was really good. Yeah, yesterday I saw the second episode, the one with that truck scene. Do you remember the? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Man, tr- are- oh my god um no the pilot's really great because uh like in the beginning of the series you could tell like it was gonna go 
like it you couldn't tell it was gonna go the way it was going to go you just thought like they were just like goofy mafiosi but then like as time goes on yeah you know oh yeah no it's definitely one of the greatest series in the the entire i I just finished watching oz this week uh which was before the sopranos but then they played during the same time i think like oz is like an overlooked classic from from uh hbo of the the heyday of hbo i think that a lot of the different uh motifs that hbo modeled on be- was basically piloted in oz like main characters getting killed left and right like when fucking kareem saeed died i was like that's it the show is shit now Gio, anyways Gio, go ahead. You, know, you know who i can get on the show i can get maybe this guy on the show oh my god oh my god that's my, that's he, my i love friend. that guy that's my friend no Robert. fucking way yeah he was the he was um McManus's uh, best friend that he brought in because they both grew up near Attica. Yeah, here um, let me I'm going to send him a message right now and ask him if he wants to come on. I think I don't be... know who we talk about. I don't know. No, I think it'll be really cool. Anyway. Oh man. Uh anyway, okay, so then we have a, gr- a grift shop like I said before that's uh Tuesday September 14th. Then we have a journalism stream, okay? And Oh then... no, glow in the dark oh, yes. stream. Oh, yes. And this one, we are going to be guest joined by, um, uh, I think, a couple of people. But I definitely know that Slav is going uh, to be there. Uh, so, uh, you know, good Slav of the... Um, uh, of the, the Fed Post. Yeah, Fed Post. Then we have over here um, J. Arthur Bloom. He's coming in. And, oh we have, and we have Kathy Young. She's coming in as well. Oh, no. Yes. Yes, I might skip that it. stream. I don't know. I might, for opsec reasons, I might have to skip that stream. Geo, I don't know. We'll Geo, see. Geo, you're 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 a man. No need to be. No yeah, need to, I know. No need I to know. be scared. Okay. Oz, the longer it ran, it turned to shit. Yeah, I think I think if they would have went, the problem is they changed directors. They did like this ridiculous bullshit, like a fucking anthrax attack and walling up the the pastor and the behind the kitchen and like fucking all the goofy stuff, like Torquemada. Like as much as I love, um, the guy who plays Torquemada, he later went on to Boardwalk Empire. He played Rossi, Rossetti. Like I love that guy. What's his at? What's that guy's name? He had his own show called Vinyl, but then like they fucking canceled it after one season. I actually like Vinyl, but then they took it in a stupid direction. But uh, yeah, like Oz became ridiculous after. Then they killed everybody. They killed off. Uh, they killed off Vern Schillinger. Like I didn't. Mm. I didn't like that. Like I, as much as Vern was yeah. like a sex predator and like a Nazi, I think like I don't I, know. I, he was I, a great I was, guy. I, I, well, I was. Uh, I, I thought you were gonna say as much as he was a sex predator, he was at least a Nazi. Yeah. Oh, there you go. No. The the best part, the best uh, storyline was uh, second in com- his second in command that later became a Prague Robson, where he had like to do a dental thing, like he had to put a graft on his uh, gums. So then there is this Indian, um, like like uh, Indian, uh, I forget the actor's name, uh, dentist, and he purposefully got like uh, a donation from an African American person, a skin graft. So then he like passed it around to the fellas. And they, oh, it was amazing. It was hilarious. Um, no, right. but like Oz became stupid after. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. All right, real quick, by the way. Okay, and I'm not going to say any more of who we're going to have. We're going to yeah, have okay. a lot of very interesting things coming up. It's going to be too long to list. Chad Haig, Ariel Pink, Mary Harrington. Um, we're going to have an Eggy 
Patriot J rap stream. We're hoping oh my they're god, do a, they're gonna do a rap duet or whatever you call it. Anyway, uh, and we're gonna freestyle have Al- battle. Yes, then we're gonna have. They should do like a Yo Mama thing, you know? Yo Mama. Oh so, man. Yo Mama so yellow. It'll be make, good. Yo, yo Mama's. <laughs> yo Mama's so yellow. She makes the Simpsons look like the Crimsons. Wow. That. Oh my god. Anyway, Patreon, it'll be like Jay Z versus. Uh, Big L, where Big L like destroyed him in the Patreon.com slash break the rules, become a patron. You see this Brittany Venti moth magnet over here? So the re- the reason why I'm still holding this is I am waiting for people who are fans of Brittany to let me know on Patreon if they are fans of Brittany. That's the mm-hmm. only way you're going to get this Brittany Venti moth magnet. That is $20, of course. $5 patrons get all the perks of secret Patreon-only streams, Discord exclusives, um mp3s uh the day after it comes out i have been making sure to do this very often now and uh 30 is gonna get you a very beautiful print from geo penichetti right here let me put it on the screen one second uh let's see here we go oh man i wonder if uh david reboy could come on that oh that would be a massacre if david reboy came on that stream kathy young no he no, we already discussed the Geo. He does not want to come on with Kathy Young. So this really, already... he said that. Yeah, yeah. We already don't worry about it. It's not. It's a different. Don't worry about it. Anyway. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, like I'm gonna respect people's, uh, uh, you know, stances on who they like talking with, who they don't like talking with. I know that he had a bit of a beef with her late, uh, on Twitter, and whatever happens from there, I hope that he has a be... policy. He doesn't want to talk to like. What does he say? He doesn't want to talk to cucks or how, yeah, yeah, cucks. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, oh, uh, Seek Style says, "Lev, do you ship your fancy magnets to Europe? I might become a patron." I mean, look, we got a patron from Australia right now. We're shipping it to uh, we're shipping it to them. So mm-hmm. yes, we do ship to Europe. But again, like uh, what I would say there is that's a big commitment. So you're probably gonna have to be a patron for at least several months before we get that done just because uh it is going to be a big commitment for uh for me to send the magnets over with the shipping costs and all that but either way i definitely appreciate any of the patronages and hey if you want to do one further become a 50 dollars patron that way you are going to get whatever magnet design you want but judging from your name seek style i do want to emphasize that it's within within certain constraints if you know where i'm getting at okay uh, besides like if you live in slow Germany, it says sleg style Slug style? Oh, really? Seek style. Oh, I get it. I, I get it, Seek st- oh, I get it. Yes. Okay. Yes. So again. Being of the, the Aryan Brotherhood from Oz, but uh, you yeah. Know. <laughs> Although if you want me to do a cloverleaf, because that's another one of their symbols, that's that's probably fine. Do anyway. A, could you do a sun or red? I don't know what that is. The, the, the black sun, the sun or red? I, I don't think so. Again, oh, he'd like do it. Oh, just don't tell him about it. Just No, no, I don't. Come on. I, I don't I don't do people like that. Anyway. That would be epic. Anyway, uh we are going to be having a lot of great episodes coming up. $50 patrons are going to make sure that we are going to have way more episodes with ultra high quality guests coming this year, next year. Who knows if we're still going to be alive the year after, but if we are, <laughs> we're going to keep Fuck. Yeah. We're going to keep doing it. Don't yeah. don't fucking jinx us, Lev. Knock on wood. Oh, look, yeah. maybe there's maybe there's a better place out there. Anyway, um, you are going to also get another. And remember, from all of the Patreons, your seat, your docs info is safe with us. 
unlike other streams out there, mm-hmm. your docs info is safe with us. You're not going to get uh, your docs is leaked on mass and yeah. have like Spurgs like troll you and give you Frank prank phone calls oh, oh, like that other way, stream. By the sorry, way, I left, just, sorry, sorry, sorry. I just, sorry, I, just I just, I just, I'm noticed, talking mad smack. Right I just now. noticed that uh, I got uh, 3,003 followers on Twitter just now. Nice. Yeah, I finally made it out of the uh, 2,000 rut. So, guys, nice. follow me on Twitter at lovepo. I finally L- made 12K, by the way. Nice. Wow, nice. congratulations, Gio. Hopefully soon I'm going to I'm like the tales to your Sonic when it comes to oh, uh, when, it, <laughs> when it comes to how often uh, how often I tweet. So I have to tweet a lot more often than I do right now, and hopefully I'm gonna be able to get there soon. But speaking of Sonic, Gio, since you are doing the Bob Ross paintings, I dare you, I double dog dare you, motherfucker, to do the following uh, painting. No, on, on no way, no way in hell. No, is, how can I do that? Wow. <laughs> this is the, the, uh... the best was like the the one edit with the two cat girls that Bob Ross was painting. That was a good one. <laughs> well, this is something I like to call mistakes into miracles. So there we go. Well, Ivan, give it time, my friend. Give it time. The the screws are tightening on him. Uh, sorry, no, I'm not gonna. Anyways, let's go before I I'm my my brain is melted right now. So. All right. I don't know guys. what I'm saying. All right. Anyway, guys, thank you so much for watching. Really appreciate all of you. Be sure to subscribe, subscribe, keep subscribing. We have Please. passed. We have passed six thousand K finally, and now we're at six thousand and ten. Guys, keep it, keep it going. And by the way, while you're keeping going for all those spenders out there who want to invest in nfts go to superair.com slash here it is i've got nfts love cards go there buy them same thing with my father superair.com slash alex alexander polyakov here alex uh, polyakov i have to write it here we go here we go here we go yeah so and i go- gotta work on my site before september so just i'm follow- busy like i gotta stream with joel and uh because we're, we're we're doing this reading of a Paul Godfrey's book, uh, after liberalism. So I'm like rushing through it and, uh, I'm just really busy this week. And of course, next week's going to be really busy on BTR. Hell yeah. So, YouTube.com slash giant R productions. Follow. going to make this tomatoes this weekend too. So nice. Yeah. Fo- follow. Uh, well, you know what they say? Sometimes you got to crush a few tomatoes to make the tomato sauce. Anyway. <laughs> oh, oh my God. All right, YouTube that's a good da- update of the omelet thing. Yeah. YouTube.com slash yeah, it's the Italian version. YouTube.com <laughs> slash Lovepoliaka. Follow me on YouTube right now and watch my animations. Anyway, good night, everybody. God bless and goodbye. <laughs>